Ciao. Ciao. Jalo Chow Chow Podcast has returned. What have I done to you? What do you want from me? We want you to listen. We want you to subscribe. And we want you to join our Facebook group. Do you know how to do those things? I don't know. I don't know anything. Well then, it seems we have no choice. <laughs> Jalo Chow Chow, the all Jalo show, episode, volume two, episode 11, legacy yes. episode 82, I tried to work this shit out beforehand, and now <laughs> I forgot. What's up, everybody? Uh, it's Chris Hello! And Al's here, too. Hey, Al. Al's here. Chris Hello. is here. Ciao, ciao. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> How's everybody doing on this fine Saturday? You mean Kentucky Derby Day? Well, for people who don't live in the United States, <laughs> I don't know if that means anything. But <laughs> people, uh, it didn't mean anything when I lived in thing. Tennessee. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it only means something to me because I have horses that I bet on in the futures race, like back in January. So, ah. we're, we're to see what happens. So, well, I should uh, make myself a mint julep instead of this brandy that I'm drinking, but I don't have any. I'm bourbon. drinking brandy. There you go. We're all drinking brandy. Al, say you're drinking brandy. I'm drinking uh, J and B. With oh. coconut and pineapple juice. Ooh, nice. Scotch with coconut mm. and pineapple juice? How's that? Uh, just a glass of the juice with a shot of J&B dropped in it and good to go. I think he tastes was asking, okay. how, how's it taste? <laughs> <clears throat> oh, it tastes pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It works. So. I like it. It's kind of like a, like a luau instead of... Because it's kind of smoky. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It'd probably work better with rum, but I haven't seen a Jala with rum in it yet. So. Yeah, I agree. No, that's true. That would be like a Jamaican Jalo, right? Yeah. Let me see. Hey, Mon, where's my black gloves, Mon? <laughs> that was wow. terrible. 
So do we need to clap again for the edit? Like, what is that? <laughs> do we need to clap again to get rid of that <laughs> terrible Jamaican joke I just made? Uh, <laughs> all right, everybody. So um, today we are going to be talking about uh, a very ridiculously wonderful and head-scratchingly um, confusing Jalo film called a hyena in a safe. Um, and right off the bat, I'm so glad again that we have Al as our consultant on this. The Italian translation is una hyena in a casaforte, which I understand casaforte means literally a strong house, but a safe. But here's the problem that I have. Sometimes I okay. see the word hyena in Italian spelled J E N A. And other times I see it spelled I E N A. And I didn't know if you could help us understand why. Okay. Technically in the Italian alphabet, J does not exist. Okay. But en enough other languages use it that they know what it is and they call it the long I. And it usually gets like a Y sound when you see it okay so like for example my middle name is joseph and when people look at my documents they pronounce it yosef okay like it's a y uh, i found it you know doing uh, some homework trying to find out information about the production of this film i found it spelled both ways and but technically in italian it would be i e n a and in fact, uh, Tarantino's film Reservoir Dogs, over here, they didn't translate Reservoir Dogs. They just called it the hyenas. Oh. So a, yeah. That's interesting. So yeah. And so this... that was the first time I came across that word in Italian. And noticed that there, you know, sometimes you'll see it with a J and sometimes you'll see it with an I for the movie poster or the Italian movie poster. Yeah, and on IMDb they spell it with a J, even though it they're giving you know they're giving you the Italian um, title, right? And it's funny you mentioned Tarantino because I really got a Tarantino kind of vibe from this movie, because um, I guess because it's it's another one of those hey a whole bunch of people stuck in one place kind of thing. But um, we'll get to that in a bit. Mm -hmm. um, so, guys, just wanted to do a bit of housekeeping. I was listening. First of all, I was listening to last podcast um, yesterday and today. It took me two days to get through it. Uh, and uh, um, I really enjoyed uh, the character, the characterizations that we were using. And uh, specifically, um, Pipey McBeardfuck, I think, was the one guy's name. <laughs> And the other guy's name was um, Inspector Toupee. So, because uh, he, had, he had the Mo Howard starter kit, Toupee. Oh, <laughs> so good. Um, that, was, uh, that was a lot of fun listening to that. So, um, so ladies and gentlemen, it, you know, Matt told us, hey, I saw this movie while I was watching Deadly Inheritance. Well, after I watched Deadly Inheritance called... A, hy a hyena in a safe, and I had never heard of it. And um, 
there was a YouTube channel called Jalo Realm, uh, which has been taken down, unfortunately. It's uh, oh. It was a labor of love um, by uh, a couple of people in our group and um, the people from the Jaloholics group, closed group on Facebook. And um, I remember many times um, the admin had put up some films and then they got taken down and they put them back up again. Um, and I think he finally said, fuck this, I'm not doing it anymore. Um, and moved all of his films over to Odyssey or Odyssey, I think is how you spell it. And, um, as far as I understand, this is some sort of, um, YouTube, uh, clone, but it exists on the blockchain somewhere. So there's, uh, an additional layer or level of, um, intricacy and maybe, I guess the idea with it being on the blockchain is that it's not centrally managed or centrally located like YouTube would be. Um, and it's a little bit more free and, um, whatever, whatever you want to call Illegal. that. Yeah. Gray market ish. So, um, the only problem that we had guys is that, uh, this particular site hasn't, um, implemented a subtitles feature yet or a closed caption feature. Um, and for Matt and myself watching hyena in a safe in Italian without subs, um, at least the first time, uh, would have been pretty difficult to get through the second time too. Let's just, so, um, we were able to, uh, set it up so that, uh, Matt could watch it over a private, um, YouTube channel that I had set up and, um, so we're all good. So I'm I'm excited that we all got to see it. I got to watch it twice. And um I think I may have come up with a new way of watching Jolly for this podcast, which is the first time I watch it, I do the scene by scene immediately. Um and then I go back and watch it a second time for enjoyment. Um because the, if I do it, the if I watch it for enjoyment the first time, I'm not really observant, and I miss a lot of the nuances that um, relate to the mystery. And so basically, I, I have it spoiled for me uh, the first time I watch it because I just stop and, and take notes, and then I watch it again. So, um, but anyway, we'll get into that in a second. I just wanted to say a couple of things. I got an email uh, from someone named Mitchell Glodek. Uh, who says, uh, Chris, of course I miss Matt and I miss Eric as well, but Al was a terrific guest on the podcast. Not only did he bring a wealth of firsthand info about Italy, but he spotted lots of interesting things in the film. Thanks to you and Al for a fun podcast. Rest assured, I listened to the entire thing and it really added to my enjoyment of Naked You Die. So, yay, uh, yeah. yay thanks Mitchell. Um, <clears throat> we're glad that have Al stay with us uh, on these episodes and also have Matt back as well to make things twice as interesting. Dang Yay. interesting. Uh, let's see. We've got, um, just doing a bit of housekeeping, we've got a new member in our group. His name is Troy Martin. So welcome, Troy Martin, to the Jalo Chow Chow Facebook group. We're up to 540 members. Um, but I wanted to give you guys uh, some numbers on the podcast. I found the Jaloholics Facebook group, which has uh, almost 3,000 members. And I posted a link to episode 10 for Deadly Inheritance on that group. 
and our numbers went up for downloads right away. Um, so that's really good news. Um, the awesome. episode 10 of Deadly Inheritance has only been out for a couple of days, maybe three days, and we've got 152 downloads on that. Wow. Um, so that's awesome. As far as statistics you go, know, oh, go, go ahead, Al. I, I've been talking too much here. Hold on. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, with the uh, the Naked You Die, we put that out as two parts, and the, the film discussion itself was four hours. Yeah. <laughs> and when I saw, you know, when you uh, shot us a message that episode uh, uh, 10, I guess, was live, I immediately went to my podcast app and I saw that it was three hours and 51 minutes. <laughs> and I, I thought, oh, I was wondering, what is the, the feedback for these longer episodes? Because, you know, I think that's a few in a row that have gone over, you know, three, or almost four hours. And I don't remember the older ones being like that, but if, you know, I was just wondering if you guys have gotten any feedback because I'm not seeing too many comments on the Facebook page. Uh, no, I mean, I haven't gotten any feedback uh, about any of the mo more recent podcasts at all. Um, and that may be partly because uh, Matt and I did, um, I think it was episode seven, which was uh, Hatchet for the Honeymoon. Um, back in February of 2021 and the next one to come out wasn't until January of this year. So there may be a whole bunch of people who have given up on listening to it and the people that are listening to it now don't realize that it was ever shorter. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, okay, cool. But I do like the kind of uninhibited format where we just talk as long as we want to talk. Um, the only I, thing I, I can like it too. Yeah, I mean, they wouldn't be that long if we didn't have anything to say about those films, you know. Right. And exactly. I don't think we go down too many unrelated tangents or stuff like that. So, well, I mean, Matt, I remember when you and I were talking a few episodes ago about whether we wanted to continue to do scene by scene or not, and um, we had some feedback on the on the group that said, "Yeah, we like scene by scene." So, um. Yeah, that's rad. Because I remember when we first did the podcast, when we first started it, and I think we were like maybe 10 or 11 episodes in, um, we asked people if they liked doing scene by scene or just liked us like shooting the shit about it. And everyone was like, no scene by scene. Jesus Christ, this is awful. Da -da 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 -da. <laughs> it goes on forever. And I was like, well, fuck it, because, like, I like talking about it like this. And I think we tried it one episode where we didn't do it and we just, like, talked. And it was, like, for me, not boring, but it, like, I don't know, it, it took some of the, like, the fun stuff I wanted to talk about out. <clears throat> so um, I, yeah. think the, I think um, we trained people to like the, the scene by scene. So that's good. We're training people. <laughs> well, I think I think our I think we appeal to a very specific audience, and that is someone who has already watched the film that we're about to talk about. They know the spoilers already. We're not hiding anything from them. And they're kind of a passive participant in the three of us sitting around like 
not necessarily just poking fun at the film, but having like a a tongue in cheek sort of conversation about the film and maybe, you know, um, delving, you know, going down some rabbit holes of of critical analysis or, you know, comparisons to other films or, you know, whatever. But I think that's so you're saying you're saying that there's eight people that listen to our show. <laughs> but I know I already <laughs> told you there's way more than that. So. Well, no, there's 152 downloads, but like eight people listen to it. And the three of the people are on this podcast. Yeah, download doesn't well, necessarily mean listen yeah. to, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But well, I appreciate and our kids listen to and best friends, <laughs> stuff like that. I can't get anybody that I know to listen to my podcast. Not a not a soul. Um, yeah. but I don't really know. You know what's I'm looking, funny. Check this I'm, out. This is like a total like kind of tangent here, but this is like for me. Like there are people who listen to the show, and then. Like if I become friends with them or whatever, they like immediately stop listening to the show. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, huh. well, that's not fun. I'm go like, oh, do you listen to the new show? Oh no. And I'm like, oh well, it, it was really good. You should listen to it. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So I don't know what that means. Does that happen Maybe. to you with other podcasts besides this one? Oh yeah, yeah. I think it's just me. Like people can only take so much of me. So if they're around <laughs> me for any length of time, they're like, I just fucking talk to you for an hour. I'm not going to fucking listen to you talk to somebody else for fucking four hours. Are you nuts? So maybe I should just stop talking to people. Yeah, they may have a point. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm actually um, impressed by the fact that you you know, are still in a position to be able to, to make friends on a regular basis. I can't do that. I haven't done that in years. Well, when so. I say make friends, I, uh, that term is super fucking loose. Like, <laughs> it's just like, I don't know. God, this got dark. Why are we all depressing now? Come on. This is like, well, um, just real quick, I wanted to give you guys some statistics from Podbean. So the only thing that I don't under, really understand about Podbean is when they tell me that there's 152 downloads, I'm assuming that that means that from all of the different podcast clients and not necessarily just people who go to the Podbean website and listen to it from there, you know, that would make sense to me. Um, people who are grabbing it through Spotify, people who are grabbing it through um, Apple podcasts and so on and so on. Um, but, uh, let's see our top 10 most downloaded episodes. Um, let's see. I want to do of all time here just to see what it says. So hatchet for the honeymoon was our most downloaded episode. And this is just volume two, um, that I can tell, um, with 558. Um, and then eyeball was a close second. And then episode uh, or part two of Naked You Die was number three. So, um, but if you go back and look at uh, a couple other things, where are our listeners coming from? Majority of our listeners are in the US. We've got some from the UK. We've got some from Canada, Germany, Denmark, Finland. Um, we've got two from Italy. So, Al, that's probably you and. You again, most likely. Um, <laughs> probably like some other channel or something. But anyway, um, 
I no, was. It's funny because like I talked to that guy from Italy. I think I brought this up on the show a while back, and I was like going, "Oh yeah, like we do this podcast about Jalo films and stuff." And he's like, "What? Why?" And like I would like go like <laughs> tell him like the era, and he's like, "What the fuck? No one, ta- no one, no, no one talks about that. Like why? Like he was almost like offended that like I'm like, oh yeah, dude, seventy to seventy five, bruh." <laughs> and um like, he was just like uh yeah nobody likes that and i'm like oh okay well fuck you like people do like it well that's kind of the reaction i get when i mention it to my english students you know i tell them i like uh jolly films and they think i'm talking about you know just mysteries in general and then right. when i specified the ones from the 70s like you know, Lucio Fulci and Dario Argento, they just kind of, oh, and then they politely change the subject. <laughs> yeah, because really, I mean, the interest in Jalo films as a subgenre is really something that came about because American um, 80s kids who grew up watching slashers started to kind of backtrack into the influences of slashers and discovered this, but the people who watched it originally when they were popular, don't care about it anymore. And really probably never did in the first place. Yeah. They yeah, might've all Fangoria's fault. It is. It is Fangoria's fault. God damn it. Because no. they pedestalized Dario Argento. That's why. Yeah. They made everyone think he was really good. And we all know <laughs> the truth. well the last swear to god i'm probably the only fucking person who is on a jalo podcast that talks as much shit on fucking argento as i do you got to make your mark somehow you know you got to stand out well i'm i'm not a huge argento lover myself i mean i think he has maybe four or five films that are great and but I, I think it's like you said one time where you know if you pay your rent on time for like three months in a row and then you don't pay it on time for like the next three years nobody's going to look back to those three months that you paid it on time <laughs> something like that that's what, say, man yeah, he paid the that? shit out of it you did that was very insightful i think you did <laughs> fuck that is like brilliant shit <laughs> good job me yeah, that fucking makes sense, dude. You yep. would get evicted. Yeah. Yeah. Some shit. It's like, what have you done for me lately, Mr. Argento? It, yeah. It's not just that, you know, towards the second half of his career, he was making films that just weren't as brilliant. I mean, he was making some that just outright sucked. Yeah. And <laughs> it kind of skews the average, you know? But, well, you know what? It's not... <clears throat> it's not even so much that he just made films that sucked. It's that he didn't make films that were beautiful. Like his stories have always been like a bit like you could say it was good. You could say it wasn't and it wasn't for everybody or whatever, but in the beginning of his career, like the composition was always gorgeous the lighting was always surreal and then like everything after that just got like dead it was just dead like here is 
a square with two people in it and they might be saying words and they might not be yeah like that's my big beef with him because he kind of got um this legendary status for doing these artistic wonderful things and then like he just rebelled against it and was like oh fuck you i don't have to do that and um i don't know if that was ever said or not but well, I'm, I'm, I mean, the, the way that I kind of look at it is, I think you're right. I've always watched Argento films and said, yeah, this narrative kind of leaves a little bit to be desired as, in, in as much as it's not tight and, you know, there's it's not cohesive. But I'm so in, in, enthralled by the way that it looks that I don't really give a shit. Um, yeah. But then, you know, I think Argento tried – and I could be wrong about this, but I think he tried to react to what was going on during at the time. So, I mean, he kind of invented a sort of a style. I mean, obviously borrowing his style from Baba, but he kind of invented a style in the uh, early 70s. But if you look at Tenebrae, Tenebrae <clears throat> has got a completely different style. Yeah. Um, and most people say that Tenebrae was his reaction to his own earlier Jolly and, you know, all the colors that he put into um, his first two, you know, um, mother trilogy films, Suspiria and Inferno, which were full of color. But then if you look at the films after uh, Tenebrae, uh, you know, maybe, you know, you could look at, you know, Creepers Phenomena is, is, is the beginning of this kind of 80s, late eighties slash nineties look that is mostly dark and uh, drab. And, you know, I don't think he ever recovered from that. And I don't think he ever decided to do anything different after that. Like if you look at, you know, opera, which I still think is a good film, except that it doesn't have the look that his earlier films had Um, and trauma, which trauma I love. Trauma kind of reminds me of a, a bit of a like a soap opera almost because it was recorded or it was filmed in the United States and it, it has a very soft look to it. But then I think like, you know, Stendhal syndrome was kind of weird. Um, the Phantom of the Opera was terrible. Um, and let's see the um, the one called Non Sohono, I think uh, Sleepless, maybe I think it was called Non Sohono. Oh, and so, oh no! And there was another one, the card player. Oh uh, fuck me! Yeah. Anyway. I like Jallo though. I thought Jallo was fun. I and didn't. Everyone see that. hates that movie. Yeah. It's it's not great, but I'm like, oh, this is kind of fun. <clears throat> but like, see, the thing with me that fucking pushed me over the edge was that like. I tried to argue with people all the fucking time, and it's stupid to argue over a fucking objective or a subjective fucking art form but like i would argue with people all the time that inferno was a better movie than suspiria and it just got to the point where i'm like oh my god like i can't fucking do this anymore i can't keep doing this like if like i'm like oh well yeah if you look at the story though bro you know like and then i'm like fuck like i can't keep doing it but yeah i don't know Al, what were you going to say when I first started talking? I think you were going to say something. Uh, I forgot. 
<laughs> Sorry about Sorry. that. No, I, was, so I was probably going to say something like, um, as far as Argento goes, how much of the stuff that you like from his early stuff could be attributable to the people he was working with, right, like exactly. the cinematographers and the editors, and once they moved on, the, the people he replaced them with just didn't quite have it, you know? Like it was more of a team effort than the auteur theory of Argento. Well, that's a very good point. But I think that Argento tried and did a good job with replacing his staff with more good staff. So if you look at his first three Jolly, you've got um, a good cinematographer, at least for Bird. You've got Ennio Morricone, who's doing the music. Um, And I think Argento helped with writing the script. For those um and then if you skip over his uh flop about the five days of milan and go to deep red um i thought you got were a, referring to the flop of four flies i'm sorry no <laughs> uh, <laughs> i don't think four flies was a flop i mean from a from a like from a box office standpoint it's just a flop in, yeah. in, your, in your brain um but like Deep Red, the replacement of Morricone with Goblin was a good one. And mm-hmm. then if you look at Suspiria, there's uh, some more uh, Goblin music and, you know, the, the, the art direction there. And when, then when you get to Tenebrae, um, they started using Bava's son, Lamberto. So, I mean, I think Al has a point um, that, you know, he surrounded himself with people who are really good. But I think... And we'll probably get into this when we talk about the film, um, this the film for this episode. I think that the caliber of talent in the late 60s, early 70s of filmmakers and screenwriters and cinematographers and set designers and costume designers and everything else was so top notch. Um, because if you look at Hyena in the Safe, it's it's really it, technically it's brilliant. It's a brilliant film. Um, so well done and like even like the like even like the the way that the costumes were designed and the way that you know but it's like everyone in that film no one's ever heard of them and they didn't do anything else after this film so you know the director didn't do anything most of the actors didn't do anything you know so um it just seems like and i know matt you mentioned this a bunch of times before that just during this time period you had second unit staff that would work on big budget productions in Italy. And when they weren't doing that, they were working on these side projects. And so they were technically very advanced in filmmaking. Um, Yeah. The the seventies, like I know this is what 68. Is that what you're this one is? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The the seventies was like the last big, like, um, like I don't like using the term wild west because it sounds so silly, but like it was the last big era where a bunch of people didn't have the constraints that they had in previous decades, but were still knowledgeable enough with their craft, whichever part of filmmaking it was to be able to like really explore themselves and like really go and do it and then when the 80s came the 80s started introducing like new um technological concepts 
that anyone growing up in the 80s and especially in the 90s, um, whenever these new things would come up, they would always look like shit. But then the more these new things came and you had like VHS or DV or um, SD and all this shit um, and people who did not have the knowledge of being able to do stuff were able to go out and do shit. Everything started to look like shit. Mm. And, um, and that might be me just being a dick and just saying everything looked like shit, but like quality fell and it wasn't just because of the technology. It was because of the people not being educated enough to know how to do things correctly let alone be like the ingenue enough to come up with something really fucking cool. If that makes any sense. I've bitched yeah. about this a hundred fucking times. I don't know well, why I keep doing it. And you know, it may also be not necessarily that they didn't have the technical knowledge, but with the advancement of the technology, a lot of people took shortcuts to get things done that they, you know, they yeah. just couldn't take those shortcuts in the seventies. So, yeah. Um, but the other thing that was cool about that time period is that there was enough there were enough ideas that hadn't been tried yet. There were enough like undiscovered kind of trends and things that people did with filmmaking in the 70s, you know, uh, late 60s, early 70s to, you know, that nowadays, in addition to the fact that technology has made everything easier, there's also very little undiscovered, you know, um, nuances to to pursue like you know it's it's the same thing with music um you know if you listen to the way that music was recorded and produced in the 60s and 70s and compare it to the 80s and then compare it to the 90s um you know you can hear that you know the recording engineers had to be very talented to make things sound good in the 50s 60s and 70s um and then with the introduction of digital recording studios uh, a lot of the um, a lot of the technical ability was unnecessary because of the um, the technological advances in you know in the hardware and the software and whatnot. So, but anyway, um, what do you think, Al? Uh, I think a lot of that is correct. I. Well, like in the in the early 80s, once everybody discovered synthesizers and drum machines, it's like they forgot how to record real keyboards and real drums. Right. You know? Yeah. And for a long time, everything just kind of suffered until it was magically rediscovered in the 90s by people like Lenny Kravitz and later Jack White, who kind of made it their brand to be all analog and real right. instruments, you know, like it was something new and yep. i think the same could probably be said for cinema in general you know once you had the uh uh what do they call it the the steady cam mm-hmm. you know once you get that you that changed the way things were shot and all of a sudden everybody's moving the damn camera all the time and they it's like they forgot how to compose a shot to linger on it and that yeah. affects and plus, that was after the blockbuster era began, you know, with Jaws and Star Wars. So I think the studios started looking more at the dollar signs 
And uh, so, you know, before that in the 70s, you know, it kind of was a wild west. There were a lot of directors experimenting and pushing the envelope and taking chances with their uh, shot composition and storytelling. And you know, I don't think you'd get a movie like Taxi Driver made in the 80s. No, not at all. But, so. Yeah. That's a, that's a real good point. I mean, um, I don't know. I thought of something to say. <laughs> Just it left me. <laughs> All right. Well, listen. One last bit of housekeeping—not necessarily housekeeping, but um, there was some news recently. An actor out of Italy named Lino Capoliccio, who starred in *The House with the Laughing Windows*. Also starred in um, the Bloodstained Shadow. He passed away uh, oh, on May third. So there's been a little bit of discussion about that amongst Jallo people, and I think that he had a pretty um, respectable acting career besides the two Jolly that he was in. But I don't know very much about him. Do either of you guys know him from anything other than those two films? Uh, I don't. I know that he was in a few, uh, a few other movies that were kind of Jalo adjacent, but probably not what you'd consider a full blown Jalo. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I haven't taken the time to see any, but let me see what I can find about him. Well, in the Bloodstained Shadow, I think <clears throat> that we covered. I think we covered both of those films, but the Bloodstained Shadow came out in 77, so it was a very late entry in the Jalo um, genre. Um, yeah. But he was in um, House with Laughing Windows, and that I don't think that ever had a English language soundtrack. So um, I always separate those two in my mind for some reason and it's simply because of the difference in the languages um house with laughing windows you know and i need to go back and watch that again because um due to the fact that i have been focusing a lot of my attention on pre-1970 giallo films i've had a lot i've had to watch a lot more films with subtitles than i ever have before um okay and I'm getting more used to it. Like just this film that we watched for this show, for this episode, um, I'm getting more kind of comfortable with the idea of I'm going to watch a film with, with subtitles and I'm not going to like a, a lot of times with Jalo films. If I have two films to watch and one of them's in English, I will always prefer the English language one. Um, Cause I just feel like it's extra effort to watch a film in a different language and read the subtitles. But um, I'm getting better at it. So um, well, I just love um, dubs in Italian movies. Like I don't like it in like <clears throat> if I'm watching like Japanese or Korean stuff. But with like Italian stuff, it's like so like over the top and good. Like <laughs> in a, like just kind of a not shitty like it's so good I don't know. there's just a charm there's a charm that yeah. i really appreciate with it <clears throat> well and it adds an extra layer to us being able to discuss these films and talk about well 
how much is the story how much did the narrative change because the people who were dubbing the english voices didn't have very much of a script and they had to make some shit up when they were doing the dubbing you know um so, yeah. and then and then compare that to well what about the translation of the subtitles you know um al and i were talking when we did naked you die that there were a couple of major plot points well not major plot points but there were a couple of very distinct situations where the italian language added a little bit more dialogue to the scene that the subtitles left out and so and a couple of times they were clues that you missed if you were only reading the subtitles so um it's uh, it's another little facet to discussing these films that speaking of subtitles did you notice that on the subs for this movie um a lot of the c's were turned to o's no so like when they needed the car they said the or and when they said they were scared they were sword in this in the subtitle it was spelled that way yeah i was Uh, i didn't notice that but you know one one thing i did notice oh go ahead i'm sorry no, that's it. That's it. One thing I did notice was every once in a while, it sounded like they threw an English word into the the soundtrack. And I'm not just talking about like at the end where the guy calls the international insurance company or whatever. But there was a scene where um, Steve is fighting with Klaus towards the end of the movie. And um, Steve says something like, we're both fighting for the same thing, right? And he says, we're both fighting for the same thing in Italian. And then he says the word right in English. And yeah, they did that with all the characters uh, because they were all supposed to be from different countries. So right. like Klaus being German, he, he would throw in German words every yeah. now and then. Okay. And Juan was constantly tossing in Spanish words. Oh, and... Nice. Albert and Janine did it with French. Right. Okay. They, and but, that's, a, uh, that's, um, that's one of the other questions I had, Al, which was, there's a scene where Juan goes in to see Janine and he brings the cookies and he says, buenos dias. Mm-hmm. And that's not what you say right. in Italian, right? What do you say for good no. morning in Italian? You say buongiorno. Oh, okay. There you go. See? Yeah. Yeah, so I think they were, they peppered that stuff in just to remind you or to impress upon you that these are international bank robbers. Okay. You know, to kind of let them all have their own uh, flavor and identity. Uh, so like Klaus, there's one time where um, he ends a sentence with – well, he's screaming at Albert, Albert about something. And he ends – on the subtitles it says child or children – Yes. But if you're listening, he says Kent, which ah, is German, German for child. Yeah. And uh, Janine is doing it a lot. Did you guys have the version where every once in a while, whoever wrote the subtitles didn't know what they said and put a question mark? Yeah, that's the one I had. Okay. Well, if you, Matt, if you watch the one that I put up on YouTube, that's the same one. So, yeah. Like every once in a while, I guess they just, it wasn't 
uh, legible. Like it wasn't audible enough for them to be able to translate it, I guess, into subtitles. Well, but. the chick with the brown hair, I can't remember her name. The short, um, shorter brunette. My, yeah. Uh, Karina. <clears throat> Karina. She said stupedo. And that there was no subtitles for that, but I understood what she said. Oh, she, so. yeah. She's, <laughs> stupid in every language is the same, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so ladies and gentlemen, a hyena in a safe. Um, can you, Al, do us the honors of pronouncing the, the Italian title? Una hyena in casa forte. So I did uh, something different compared to what we normally do. Um, I've got a page uh, in WordPress, a little um, review of the film by David, uh, I'm sorry, Mark David Welsh. Um, And I want to give him a quick plug. Um, This was done back in 2013. So who knows if he's even involved in doing this anymore. But um, he wrote a little... um, Synopsis, and I'm going to read it because it's kind of cool. 11 months after a sensational diamond robbery in Amsterdam, the criminals convene at a luxurious mansion to divide the spoils. When they arrive, they find the leader of the gang represented by his beautiful widow, one of their members replaced by another crook that they don't know, and another who brings along his girlfriend. Each is supposed to have a key to unlock a safe where the jewels are stored, but one of the keys has gone missing. Dot, dot, dot. And that's where we begin, ladies and gentlemen. Well, and then there is the other girl who Omar sent. And, and yes, okay. And so, so that is, is that Karina? Yeah. Yeah. Because Omar is like in hiding or something, right? I, I guess so. Sure. Yeah, I don't know if they ever spelled out why he wasn't there, but but yeah, uh, I thought that was kind of weird because th- this group of criminals meet and three of them are substitutes. Yes, and then one of them brings along a girlfriend, yep. and that's and, the big problem. Yeah, and that's that. Yeah. She's the one they don't trust. Never mind. <laughs> I've. Uh... Well, one of the one of the guys said something like, "I." switched places with Tomas because I beat him in playing cards. And then Klaus, I think right. alludes to the fact that he just killed him or something. Well, he's like, how do how could you beat him in cards? And he's like, I don't want to talk about it. Right. Yeah. He's like, that doesn't matter. Or... <laughs> yeah. And he's like, Oh, well that, that pans out for me. Yeah. Okay. Story solid. <laughs> and the other thing about this too, is that like the most exciting part of the movie doesn't happen. In the movie, 
It's like mm. 11 months ago. The actual heist. The bank heist of a century. Yeah. <laughs> right. You're so thinking like that kind of reminded me of Reservoir Dogs also. Yeah, yeah because the, the actual. But Reservoir Dogs, you get flashbacks. Yep. Well, it's just of them running down the street shooting at cops and stuff. But <laughs> you don't see the actual heist. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So but this. Basically, this movie was the inspiration for Reservoir Dogs. It, yeah. Dude, it it may very well have been part of it, his inspiration because he was big. Tarantino's big on Italian films for sure. He even mm-hmm. like he even repurposed some of Morricone and some of the other guys' Giallo uh, soundtracks in Kill Bill and a couple of other places too. I think he should do a Giallo and let that be his last film. Oh, that would be great because he'll do it exactly right, and it'll be. A 100% ripoff bite, unoriginal, but who cares? Because Tarantino is my favorite director for making things that aren't, you know, that he didn't invent in the first place, you know? Yeah. He does a great, well, like, copy style. As far as this goes, can we agree that the plot of this movie might be the most convoluted plot of any <laughs> movie we've ever watched? <laughs> I can agree with that. <laughs> I've watched it three times and I still couldn't tell you exactly what happened towards <laughs> the end. And there was so much backstabbing and double crossing and triple crossing and you know. Well the, the yeah, okay. the end the end is crazy. Um we'll we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, yeah, we'll get there. Okay. I'm jumping ahead. I'm jumping So ahead. the film was released on the twenty-sixth of July nineteen sixty-eight in Italy. And my first question to you guys is um, is there any mention in the actual film or the narrative or the characters related to where they are at that particular house, at that mansion? Like, what country are they in? Are they in well, Italy? They're, they're celebrating carnival. So what places celebrate carnival? Probably Catholic countries. Well, the biggest one is Brazil, right? But that's not where they would be. No, because the kid that threw uh, confetti in the old man's hair was spoke Italian to him. It wasn't Portuguese or anything else. But and the reason why the only reason why I'm asking this is because I'm trying to give the film some points on my website, and I don't know where it takes place. I mean, it was filmed in Italy for sure, because if you look, you can look that up in IMDb, but. They really didn't mention, you know, and you've got an international cast. They're all from everywhere. You know, the the heist happened in Amsterdam and all these characters are from everywhere. So, but where is this place? And, and it didn't look like, you know, I'm jumping ahead. It looked like the, the property where they all decided to meet was pretty out of the way, but then how is it that there are these just, you know, wild crowds of carnival people that show up at their at the gate you know and throw Just confetti yeah so anyway it, it it doesn't it probably is a is a question that will remain unanswered but i was hoping that maybe i missed something um because i always like to have a, a a giallo score that i would consider to be you know um comprehensive you know without any holes in it but um sometimes that's what has to happen so um, film was directed by Cesar uh, Canavari, and 
He's got a couple of other director credits to his name, but nothing else that would be Jalo related. Um, okay, is who is the main chick in this? Like married or fucking any of the director producers or anything like that? Who's the main chick though? Anna. Okay, the 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 brunette. Yeah. Okay. Uh, she's never been in anything else. If you look her up, this was yeah, the only this was film, the she, only film she did. Yeah, that's crazy. But it's like that for everybody in the cast, except for the guy who plays Albert, uh, Sandro Pizzocero, um, and then you have Janine, uh, Christina Gaioni. She was in a lot of stuff. Uh, her career started in 58 and yes. lasted until, I think, 95. Fuck. And she had worked on a Fulci film in the early 60s. It was oh, really? a, a sex comedy that he did called The Masseuses. Huh. And let's see if I can get this to work. I can send Probably you a photo. Talking about penises? What's interesting is she looks pretty young in this movie, but she really isn't, I guess. Uh, she's, she's done about 10 years worth of movies before this. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how old she was. So she was born in 40, and so she would be 28 years old in this movie. So I guess she was like a very early actor, actress, whatever. Says she was in a movie called The Women of Cell Block Seven. Is that right? Yeah, and, and that has um, Anita Strangeberg in it. Strangeberger. Yeah, oh Strangeberger. <laughs> Shit's getting real. She was in something called Flesh for Frankenstein too. Oh shit! Now, yeah, is that she a, was. Is, uh, that's Andy Warhol. Is that Andy Warhol or? Mm-hmm. See. You know, the funny part is Flesh for Frankenstein is credited to Antonio Margariti, who we know as the guy who uh, directed Seven Deaths in a Cat's Eye, as well as Naked You Die. Uh Well, I think maybe it's called Andy Warhol's Flesh for Frankenstein. Maybe he just produced it or wrote it and let somebody else uh, direct it. So I I just sent you guys a picture in the chat. Oh, okay. Of uh, Christina Gaioni. Oh, yeah, there she is. Yeah. So is that the uh, Fulci film? Yeah, that's the Fulci film she did in '62. Huh. And the story is okay. The story of that particular sex comedy is somebody's trying to open a spa with uh, massage services. And some uh, some of the prominent men in town are going there, and one of them gets caught because he has a heart attack and dies during a massage, and hilarity <laughs> ensues. So, <laughs> which is a uh, pretty deep for a sex comedy plot, you know. It means they yeah. thought about it for at least four minutes instead of just two. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and it's funny because when you watch this film, you can tell that. There are a lot of tongue-in-cheek elements in this film. It's not serious. Um, it's kind of silly, but it's fun anyway. Um, and and there's a serious aspect to it, which is, of course, you know, this this situation where, you know, everyone's trying to get the diamonds and 
you know. All right. So uh, do I have anybody else in the list here? Um, not really. Um, the 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 guy who did uh, the music, uh, Jean Perro Riveribi, which is like reverb, which is weird to be a music director and your last name is Reverb. Um, but uh, his only credit that jumped out at me was Django Prepare a Coffin, um, which I don't know like how far down the rabbit hole of Django films you have to go before you run into that one. Because <laughs> like, I think it was like, you know, Django was like the one that was, you know, everybody watched. And then it was like Django Kill. And then, you know, it's kind of like the, the Planet of the Apes of uh, Spaghetti Western. <laughs> Well, it's like all the spaghetti westerns that suddenly have the word dollar in their titles. Right. You know. So, um, let's go to the opening scene. The credits haven't rolled yet. Uh, we start with this. We start. I, I wrote in my in my notes. The 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 film starts with a bang, literally. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I try to draw attention to the fact when people use the word literally correctly because no one uses it correctly anymore. Um, literally anyway, no one. N- literally no one, yes. Uh, <laughs> so can we all agree? What was the last thing that we had to all agree on that you brought up, Matt? I forget already. <laughs> I, it was probably Oh, that, that we still haven't been able to figure out what's going on in the film. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Can we all agree that that pig costume was as creepy as fuck? Terrifying. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, the pig did it. Like, <laughs> like pointing. I'm like, yeah, watch watch that pig. That pig. That, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. And they showed him a couple of times, and we never saw him again. But, oh, my God. And I don't know about you guys. But when I when I acquire a Jala, whether it be through Cinemageddon or find it on YouTube or whatever, I watch the first 10 seconds to see what it looks like, what it sounds like, and is it in Italian or is it in English? And my impression of what the movie is about is based on those first 10 seconds. And it never is that. that. It's yeah, never, it never. never is that. Yeah. So, like, the first three times I turned on this film, I see a bunch of people, like, partying, and I see the big costume. (laughs) I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? So, all right. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm going off the rails here. Um, We talked about the soundtrack before we started recording the the podcast, but the soundtrack will – we will hear this over and over again in various different forms. I don't know if you guys noticed, but when somebody gets killed or – Something bad happens. It's the same song, but they slowed it down. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think it may on be the, actually on my slowed down. Viewing, on my second viewing, I noticed that there were... Because when I first watched it afterwards, I'm like, fuck, this is one of those movies where they just played the same song over and over again through the whole thing. Yes. But like, I did notice some things that... Um, I mean, if they slowed it down, they slowed it down to a fucking snail's pace. But... There were some other tunes that would like come up and shit. Yes, but yeah. they, they, it wasn't enough to like make you forget about the. 
No, and in fact, I think that it was kind of, you know, a well-balanced soundtrack because you want to have that theme that comes back every once in a while. So to let you, you know, most of the Jolly that I consider to be the best have a very specific signature musical theme that I can go to, like Eyeball or um, uh, Case of the Bloody Iris or what have you. I was just going to say that, yeah. Yeah, um, and so I like this because that song, dun, 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 it comes back every once in a while, but it's not overdone. Like if you watch um, Seven Bloodstained Orchids, the Umberto Lenzi giallo, that particular uh, theme is played so much that you're like, oh, I, again, you're playing this? And uh, I think there was another one that we did, Matt, um, called The Girl in the Yellow Pajamas. Oh, fuck me. Yeah. 77 or 78. <laughs> yeah. That yeah, had yeah, yeah. A, a, another one of those soundtrack things. Anyway, I, I kind of like but it. I so. will say the, the juxtaposition of this song in this movie <laughs> works really well, too, because the song is so upbeat and party-ish and the it's whole campy. thing. Yeah. But like the tone of the movie that it's in, like when the movie's trying to be serious, like you're <laughs> like. That song should not be anywhere fucking near this movie. Right. Right. This music reminded me of like 1970s game show music. Mm -hmm. Every time I heard it, I expected Bob Barker to be busting out the showcase showdown. Yeah. Like Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass is is what what I think of like the dating game. Right. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Oh my God. It totally sounds like the dating game. Yeah. And that's uh, uh, Herb. That's Herb Alpert um, going places or something. Look that up. That's the um, that's the dating game theme song. Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass. One of my favorite things to listen to just for fun. So awesome. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. What happened? <laughs> Is the chick whose name I already forgot that you guys told me a minute ago? Uh, Karina. Is she the chick on the cover of uh, Taste of Honey or whatever? Or whatever uh, that's oh, called? Oh, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Huh. Um, not Taste of Honey, but uh, Whipped Cream. Whipped Cream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that her? <laughs> I have to look it up now. <laughs> oh, my fucking God. If that's her, I'm going to fucking shit myself right now. No, it's not her. Oh, my God. Does it look like her, or is my it's, brain no, remembering Google, bad Google things? is telling me that the whipped cream model was a Seattle woman named Dolores Eckerson. Oh, what a fucking goddamn fucking horrible <laughs> thing that is. I'm so excited. Doris <laughs> fucking I'm, Eckerson? I'm Ugh. not excited. Excited is the wrong word. I'm delighted that you thought that because the theme song sort of sounded like Herb Alpert, that the woman in the film was the same woman on the cover of his of his album. Well, that's what I thought. They were like, oh, wow, she looks like this, or this is this chick. Let's have the song sound like this. Like, oh, my God, dude. Oh. oh I just, so like, crazy. seriously, like, the coincidences in that whole thing. If we ever dude, do I spent like a, a lot of time as a kid looking at that fucking album, dude. <laughs> My grandparents had the vinyl. I know what it looked like. I held yep. that thing. 
Yeah, the whipped cream goes all the way up and covers just as much as you need to cover. Yeah, and then some of it, it might not even be whipped cream. It might just be a blanket. Like, you're not sure. Dude, if we ever do, like, a clip show, like, you know how, like, the sitcoms have a clip show at their 100th episode or whatever? Uh, This segment about (laughs) fucking Herb Alpert is going to be in it for sure. Doris fucking Eckerson? (laughs) <laughs> or we could start that some urban most, myth like, type thing about it anyway. Seriously. Yeah, right. Why not? <laughs> I mean, if enough it's people her, guys. About <laughs> Let's see. We, we can start this now, and in 10 years, people might say it like it's a real thing. Right. Yeah. Right. We'll now, that is the most unsexy name I've ever <laughs> heard. Uh, Doris right. Eckerson. Oh, man. I'm going to okay. go fucking rub one out to... Doris Eckerson. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ, dude. Uh, uh, I, I feel like I need to put one of those doot 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 at that particular mark. Anyway, okay, so we've got the people, they're partying. There was a little scene of a Ferris wheel going, but mostly it's fireworks and people running around and, you know, partying. Uh, car headlights. We got Klaus first. We don't know it's Klaus yet. This older guy, he checks his watch. It's 1130. Um, and then we get the title screen, which in my version was in Italian. Um, another car arrives and Karina gets out. And again, we don't know it's Karina. And, um, I feel like Karina is the best looking woman in the cast. Um, I don't know how you guys feel about it. I She's think that, the best uh, put together one. Yeah. Like her, her fashion her wig, sense is Her the wig best. is getting the fucking annoying really fucking quick. But and, um, and she that jacket and Anna, boots, dude. Fuck oh, the, me, her, dude. oh, yeah. Her boots are great. Every time I saw uh, her boots, I'm like, Matt must be having a fucking field day with those boots. Dude. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah I think she's the best looking one. Uh, I think you're supposed to think that Anna is, but to me, Fuck she no, just looks dude. like a mannequin every time they show her, you know? An I think she only mannequin. did one film because she had to go stand in a window at Macy's. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great, dude. I did like her with those, like, silvery pants on when she was just in the bra and the silver pants. Yeah, but like she didn't have enough stuff to make those pants really work. But those pants were fucking hot as shit. Well, and she, did you guys she notice a little like, more junk in the trunk? Did you guys notice yeah. that she was sucking in her gut like there was no tomorrow? Oh yeah, dude. She wasn't gonna fucking look like some fucking pot-bellied fucking pig in that fucking scene, dude. I swear <laughs> to God, she had to have been fucking somebody. There's no way some chick with no credits fucking shows up is the star of some fucking shit. <laughs> Dressed in all these stupid fucking things with her dumbass fucking Abe Lincoln fucking haircut and fucking act like this is fucking how shit goes, dude. She was fucking, dude, no, no, nope. Well, especially, (laughs) you know, especially I've got, we've, we're going to get, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to get there again. We're going to refer to this again, but what the fuck is going on with tying the ponytail under your chin? You know what I mean? Like. No fucking idea, and she had it for fucking half the movie. Yeah, yeah. Did she look like a binary or non-binary Amish person on her way to a rave? <laughs> what the fuck, fuck, dude? Yeah, I'm like, oh shit. 
like I have this really tiny jacket on, but like I have this awesome brooch. How do I fucking wear it and make it look normal? Oh, I know. I'll fucking have like a fucking weird goatee with a big pearl fucking brooch <laughs> hanging off of it. <laughs> fucking idiot. Like, ugh, no. Uh, nope. All right, all right. <laughs> all right. So again, I was just bringing up the fact that I think Karina is the mo- like you said best, most put together, um, most sophisticated looking. Um, anyway, um, like she would cost more money than I would have to pay her for the night. Whereas, like <laughs> Janine, I could probably afford. <laughs> We're rating them on their. <laughs> Never supposed mind. prostitution yeah <laughs> supposed prostitution market value <laughs> yeah um okay so we start to get the idea here that um people are arriving at this point um i love that scene where um uh karina starts walking towards the main house and the car headlights are behind her um and what's interesting to me is later on we realize how long that driveway is. Um, and I, I didn't understand how it was that she could just stroll. It looked like half a mile between the gate and where the actual house was. Well, um, especially when fucking Diamond McFucking Derby hat fucking, I don't know <laughs> what to call that weird little man, but um, confetti fucking dude. Like, Calligan, when he shows his name up, was. It, yeah, it takes him fucking half the movie to get from the gate to the fucking door. Right. So, right. like, I don't know how fucking Gogo. How is it? Fucking three. Right. Steps. How did Karina get there in two steps? It's crazy. <sighs> uh, okay. Um, so let's see. Uh, you know, we we've got um, Steve, who we don't know is Steve yet. He's just walking with a limp, and then uh, we got the guy with the you know in the car with the striped jacket. And he's brought a girl with him. She has this beehive hairdo. Uh, they're all there. Um, and now um, we know the name of the, the movie. And we know that everybody is kind of coming together. House on Haunted Hill or however many different movies you want to refer to here. Where a whole bunch of people from a whole bunch of different places come together in one location. Um, but we don't know why yet. So we get inside and... We immediately talk about the fact that Steve's been in a car accident and he can't walk without a limp anymore. Um, But uh, am I wrong or is Steve a substitute for somebody else? No, Steve's supposed to be there. Steve's supposed to be there. Okay. Um, But Juan is not supposed to be there, right? Correct. Okay. Um, So Alex... Alex. I have Alex because in IMDb, the character of Albert is referred to as Alex, but it's not Alex. It's Albert. Um, So Albert seems to be the one who is doing the most talking at this point. He's talking about the job. He's talking about meeting at the house. And where is Boris? Okay. So Boris obviously is the guy who orchestrated all of this, but he's not the boss, which we'll find out later. Um, and then all of a sudden, once they start talking about Boris, we have the scene where Anna, who's the girl with the under the chin ponytail, yes. uh, she comes and makes this grand entrance down the steps. And she um, she 
uh, announces to the group that Boris is no longer alive. She is his wife. She's taking over for him. And then she kind of announces the characters and she says, Klaus, he's from Germany. Uh, Albert is uh, French and Steve is from London. Um, and Karina is from the Tangiers. And I had to look that up. That's in Morocco. Morocco. Yeah. And then she says, what does she, does she say Tomas when she's talking yeah. to Juan? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And Tomas apparently was Dutch. And then this uh, Spanish guy who, for most of the movie, to me, looked like he was wearing brown face. Yeah. Or fake tan or something. But, yep. Or grease. Yeah. Like yeah, he, yeah. He, he rubbed a roasted chicken all over his face, <laughs> which he kind of does in the movie anyway. But I do want to say something <laughs> because, like, there is something here that is our first clue <clears throat> that someone is actually really trying to do something with this film. And that is where <clears throat> um, Anna comes down the stairs. We first see her in the hand mirror that um, Janine's holding. And then when she enters down the stairs, we see it through um, Karina uncrossing her legs. Like, this movie's just getting really fucking artsy, yes. really fucking fast. And um, I really loved how this was done. This was really, really clever, really good. Yeah. Uh, th- does it make sense, like, um, in how everyone was placed, how you would be able to see her in the mirror of a girl sitting on the other side of the room um, up against the wall when the chick was coming in from the other side down the stairs, but whatever. It looked really cool. I liked it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. I I think that um, it's obvious within the very first, say, 10 minutes, 15 minutes or so, that um, this has got a little bit of art film going on. You know, yeah, uh, there's some there's some camera <clears throat> angles and some interesting, you know, perspective shots that um, make it a little bit more than your just your typical, um, you know, caper film. Now, um, also, this right here, like we just found out that three of these people shouldn't be who they are. One of them has got a bum leg since the last time they met. Is any of this actually fucking necessary for this story? Like, could you have told the exact same story with everyone being exactly who they were at the heist? Yeah, I don't see any benefit in having three characters being substitutes. Unless you just want to add to the red herring factor, you know? As if they would what? trust each other if they were the real gang members, but it could have done without it just as easily. Well, I mean, I think that may be what it is. Like every character um, is now got like maybe not necessarily the characters, but as the audience, <clears throat> you kind of relate to the fact that everybody is a suspect um, because they've introduced uh, a layer of kind of unpredictability that is in addition to the fact that they're all <clears throat> criminals, they're all thieves, whatever. Now, not only is it 
that they're all thieves and they're meeting together, but, and it's been 11 months. And that's the other thing too. Like, I don't think that, did they announce that right away that it's been 11 months or do we find that out later that that's when um, the actual heist happened? I think not till the safe pretty scene. Soon. Yeah. I think you find out in this one. So like things have like life has gone on for these people. Like they all had this heist in Amsterdam to just steal these diamonds, <clears throat> but they all knew that, Hey, we've got to lay low for 11 months or however long we want to lay low for and during that time, shit happens. Like Steve got in a car accident. Um, Karina's, what's Karina's partner's name again? I keep forgetting. Omar. Omar. Like he, something happened with him. He's in hiding. Um, and Albert gets engaged, and Juan replaces Tomas in a card game. So, and Boris um, is dead. And Boris is dead. Right. I mean, it, like it kind of works if you. Add the eleven month um, time, you know, time difference. But I don't know. Um, so uh, let's see. Did I mention everybody? Anna is Boris's widow. Janine is Albert's Albert's fiance. So um, the next scene. Well, in this first scene too, here is the first time we see Albert have a bit of a fit. From not getting yes. his juice. <laughs> he has a monkey on his shoulder. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and what do we all suspect him to be on? Like, it's not really announced. Like, what I specifically thought it was heroin is... or morphine. Because, you know, back in the 60s, you could say that he was an acid addict or a marijuana or a addict. Marijuana, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it would be, it would People would consider that to be legitimate, you know. Did they say in in Italian what he was on? No, they didn't. And no. actually, this is one of the few films I've seen where the subtitles are ninety nine percent dead on with what mm. is being said. Oh, so, really? Yeah. So kudos to whoever did the subtitles for this. Because cool. honestly, in like the next scene, um, when we get to it, I'll say it, but something comes up and I thought for sure that it was just like some random shit that was added because it doesn't make any sense. So um, I just wasn't paying attention. And that horrible sound is like a weird noise that this truck makes when it backs up. So if you heard that, I apologize. <laughs> Sounds like someone's well, like beating up a vulture. And you know what was really funny, Matt, in the last podcast, every once in a while I'd hear a bird chirp. And I'm like, what the fuck was like, wait a minute, where do you have a bird in your house or is it just the open window or no, it's just open windows and loud fucking mother nature. We have <laughs> Dude, I'm in fucking, like, central fucking L.A., like, right next to downtown. And there are more hawks here mm. than there were in Big Bear in the mountains or in the desert. And I mm. hear them all the fucking time, and they shriek, and then they come down and get the squirrel or a chihuahua or a rat. Um, but it's... Uh, the wildlife here is really wild compared to actual wild places i've lived so yeah yeah there's that is that because la is running out of water 
I mean, does that have anything to do with it? I'm just wondering. LA's always been out of water. Yeah. I don't know. I think I think the problem now is Colorado's running out of water. Yeah. Which means we're running out of water. But yeah. So that was a fun little subplot we had right there. <laughs> so speaking of running out of water, let's get to that uh, A little apocalyptic tangent there. Uh, okay. Um, all right. So we skip to the let, – let's move on to the safe scene because we're only 10 minutes yeah. into the movie. Um, the safe scene. Um, and this is why, for me, in on the Jalo score, the film gets a, a credit for pseudoscience um, because the safe seems to be hidden inside a pool that they raise out of the pool – and they mention that there's no way that Boris could have stolen the diamonds ahead of time because it's booby trapped with uranium. Um, because the safe's made out of lead. Is that yeah. right? The safe's made okay. out of lead and there's uranium in some sort of like layer that if you tried to open it, you would, what well, I don't know, create a, like a, a Chernobyl incident, you know. <laughs> I don't know how quickly it would kill you. I don't know if it would be effective quickly enough to stop you from stealing the diamonds or if you would just true. steal them and then notice later that night that, you know, you turn off the lights and you're glowing, you know, <laughs> right. You've grown all your hair off. is gone. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. That was what I didn't understand. I was looking at the subtitles and then I'm like radioactivity. What led, what the fuck is happening right now? So, yeah. Okay. So that was actually something that was said in the movie. Okay, that's good. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, they said that Boris would have to wait 50 years in order to break into the safe because of the, I guess, the half-life of, of you know, nuclear energy, whatever. Um, so anyway, in order to open up the safe to get the diamonds, they need to use, everybody needs to use their key. And there's six keys altogether. So everybody puts their key in, but all of a sudden, Albert can't find his key. And he's looking at his cigarette case, and he's starting to go crazy. And um, I love the scene where they decide, okay, they're not going to open it because Albert's still looking for his key. We're going to put the safe back down into the water. But they just reverse the film instead of... it's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And how smart is Albert? Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. It's stupid. How smart is Albert? How smart is Albert to hide his key in his cigarette case? Something that he probably pulls out and opens 20 times a day. Yeah. Agreed. What could go wrong? You know? My favorite location for hiding a key is in Karina's stocking. Obviously. That's the best place to hide your key. But, like, honestly, I'm going to make this movie really stupid right now. <clears throat> okay, so they stole. We these haven't diamonds. even gotten to the garage scene, so go ahead. <laughs> oh my god! So they stole these diamonds from Amsterdam, and somehow uh-huh. Boris got this bag of diamonds from Amsterdam to what we are going to assume is Italy. Okay, so if you were able to get the diamonds out of the country, why the fuck would you fucking have everyone go their separate ways and come back eleven months later? Like, if the diamonds are already out of Amsterdam and out of the country, why not just split the fucking diamonds up then, and then no one has to fucking come back? Mm. 
Well, is it because they assumed that if they just hid the diamonds and laid low, that it would be easier for them to all get together later because time had passed? Is that the idea? I don't know. I have no I idea. Like, did this make it easier? Well, part of waiting so long is waiting for the heat to die down so that the authorities aren't looking for these diamonds. And if you go ahead and split them up, you have six people running around the world with these diamonds, and somebody's going to get caught with one, and that could lead them back to the rest of the gang. Yeah, I I guess so. Yeah, that's true. I will will take that answer is okay. It's like, did you guys ever see um, the film Bully? No. No. Neither of you guys have seen Bully? Oh, dude, go see Bully. Uh, the guy who did Kids, what the hell was his name? Um, Harmony oh, Corinne? Yeah, I, I didn't watch anything after Kids. I, Not I Harmony Corinne. Harmony Corinne is the screenwriter. Um, the other guy is oh. the director. Right, right, right. Uh, but anyway, Bully is about a true story about these kids in Florida who decided to murder their friend because he was a bully. Um, but basically, at the end of the film, you know, all six of them... Like, all six of them know what happened, and they're just waiting for one of them to, like, break down and confess. That's what I thought of. But everybody should go out, and, and that that's one of the movies that I can always watch. You know, like, Drop Everything and Watch, Bully is one of them. I, I mean, the... the really? The, um, the acting, uh, it's so well done that you're watching it and knowing that it's a true story you really think you're watching it happening because of how good the acting is. Um, wow. But anyway, I, I, uh, I'm off on a tangent here, but everybody go see Bully uh, or watch it on whatever service you have. Um, so Albert starts to go crazy, and we now have a very long montage of devices and scenes and... Um, set pieces all related to the fact that Albert is on some sort of drug and the other people who think that he's hiding his key for some strange reason, um, they steal his drugs and they hold them. They hold the drugs hostage until they get the key. Yeah. The Um, lamp on the piano, like first off, it's a bitch and fucking lamp. Like that desk lamp with the the white one with the ball on the top that um, Juan is like moving to look at everybody. Like this whole scene, it's annoying as shit and it's supposed to be, but it's so fucking amazing how it's done. Like I fucking love it. And when they fucking send him the fucking drugs on the bar cart and like (laughs) you go from a Dutch angle to normal to another Dutch angle the other way. It's like a double Dutch. Um, <laughs> like, I was just like, oh, my God, this is so fucking awesome. Like, I love this whole bit and the horrible piano and the gong. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, everything. Like, well, how about that? There's a split second. Women. There's a split second where they're taking um, Janine's clothes off and some of her clothes land on lands on a turtle. And I don't know if the turtle yeah. is real or if it's just like a, no. it's like a, some sort of sculpture turtle. 
I think it's a it's real turtle from Forbidden <laughs> I remember that. That's right. She thought it, she thought it was um, what well, a pair of uh, a pair of shoes from the from the curtain. Right? Is that what it was in Forbidden Photos? And then, and then the shoes started moving by themselves, and it was just a turtle. (laughs) Uh, uh, Yeah. So chaos ensues, and Janine is attacked. Um, It's the only nude scene, and I saw some nip, so I'm giving it a point for nudity. Um, Oh, good job! But one of the things that you know you probably didn't notice the first time through is that they're trying to direct your attention to the bow in her hair the whole fucking movie that she nobody fucks with and she really needs some chapstick like after you get to the you know the (laughs) scene where she's in the bedroom it's like oh my god woman put some chapstick on or just rub your mouth on fucking warm's face so anyway uh they the 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 rest of the group they figure that Albert and Janine are trying to get over in some particular way. I don't know why, um, if you're holding your own key hostage, why you would be in a position of power, but I guess you are. Um, so they steal his drugs. Um, they attack Janine. They try to get the key from him, from her. They try to get the key from him. And like you said, uh, Matt, um, Juan just decides that he's just going to torment Albert in every way possible between the piano and the gong. And eventually they decide, okay, well here, we'll give you your drugs back. But instead they send out a cigarette case on a, a dolly or a cabinet of wheels with this a bar cart, a bar cart. And, but the crew, like the crew it's in the, and the, that have to contain the liquor. It looks like, watered down iced tea it doesn't even look like scotch or whiskey yeah. or anything like it, and that it looked bar like... thing that they do i mean i'm probably jumping ahead but they open it up and it has this blue light coming out of it the like light underneath the, of the covenant oh my god dude that thing was so <laughs> fucking badass man oh yeah there was right. lots of shit in this movie that i was like i want that i want that so mm-hmm. yeah okay sorry well, that's okay. I'm just going through the. Uh... So, let me try to move this along a little bit because it's clear that we could stop on every scene and and talk for hours. Um, Albert is really losing it. Like he's losing his mind. He's going through withdrawal. He's banging on the walls. He's going up the stairs, and eventually he gets to the very top level of the tower. He says something on the way up about, hey, um, I can get somebody to make a mold of the key and we can make a new key. And then everybody's like, well, if that was possible, then Boris would have taken the diamonds ages ago. So, you know, we can't do that. Um, But all of a sudden, it's like they show the clock and it's 3.30. And then the next scene is you can see light coming from the windows. So they must have been sitting around waiting for him to just crack like crack or yeah just like produce this key and and he never did so he goes up to the very top of the tower and he keeps talking about i'm gonna try to get this key made for you and someone pushes him off 
and he falls to his death. Um, but we do see a pair of hands. It's not like he slipped, you know. Um, and it's just like the last movie we talked about where Jeannot, um, what it was suspected that he committed suicide on the train or was he pushed, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but anyway, I, I found this interesting because not only, um, was that a parallel to deadly inheritance, but all of this confetti that everyone's throwing yeah. around. I'm like, wait a minute. We just watched a movie where there's confetti and it was an actual clue in the movie, you know. And maybe you should put confetti on the Jalo score. Hmm. Right. <laughs> exactly. Well, and, you know, the, if there's more if there's more in the proto Jalo that I haven't seen yet, I may add it. But and we and we all remember, of course, Matt, that in Four Flies in Gray Velvet, the one guy gets hit in the face with some confetti too. So. Um, yeah, I don't remember that. I know. Blocked it out. <laughs> That's why I brought it up. Um, <laughs> but um, to to talk about the confetti for a second, because we were talking about it last podcast, and we were talking about how it was pieces of. <laughs> we were talking about how the the, the bar. That um, the one guy was running like it was just the bad, you know, uh, the the books that he was trying to cook, like there was those were cut into pieces of confetti or something like that. <laughs> but um, I've noticed that every time you see the confetti, it's a perfect circle, and I don't know how they make those except with one of those hole punchers. Yeah. yeah I don't hmm. know. What the hell are we talking about? We're talking about confetti and hole punchers. All right, let's get back to the movie. <laughs> so motherfucker ends up on the fucking ground. He's yes. dead. Motherfucker so little guy next, shows up. Yeah. With fucking, the next scene why are there is people partying at the gate. It's right. the next day. How long is carnival? I don't. I don't think there's any answers to these questions. But do you and, notice that whenever they do the party shit, they speed the film up a little bit mm, to make them look like more like chaotic hyper, and like yeah. dancing and shit? Yeah, yep. it's amazing. Good stuff. Well, and one of the things I was thinking about, and this, you know, is a question for people who, you know, are obviously more European than I am because I'm not European at all, but. Is there a difference between carnival, like the official carnival, uh, or a carnival? Like in America, there are carnivals, and it's just like a. But do tent. you dress it's, up like a pig to go do that? It's like a cross between a circus and an amusement park, or you know what I mean? Like, um, but does that happen in Italy and in Europe, Al? The same idea, or is carnival like a a proper noun? Per se. It's a proper noun over here. It's the holiday that is around Mardi Gras. Like they would mm, have in okay. New Orleans. Right. And uh, Ash Wednesday and all that. It's usually, I'm not Catholic at all, but I know it's like usually in February. And they make a big deal about it in Venice because people like to go there and wear the masks and 
it's uh it's especially oh, wow. celebrated in venice well, uh, cool. over here a carnival like what you're talking about uh, they call it a luna park which is okay. uh, luna being moon i don't know why they call it luna park but if you were talking about like you know the carnival is in town let's take the kids to the carnival and you'd call it a luna park Carnivale is what we're seeing here in this film. Okay. Uh, so it must be that time of year, and it looks pretty warm where they are. So that might yeah. be a clue as to where they're supposed to be setting the film. But what you're saying is that Carnivale, which mm-hmm. is the day before Ash Wednesday starts, which they call Fat Tuesday in New Orleans, mm-hmm. um, is something that they celebrate in Italy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I think they do it in Brazil, too, because uh, you can see on YouTube a lot of uh, carnival, per- carnivale parades there. Yes. Uh, yeah, definitely in Brazil, in South America. So, yeah, I think it's all the same. And usually and they, the celebration ahead, isn't just for one day. It'll start like a few days before, and Fat Tuesday will be like the the culmination of it. Right. So sense. we could say that this movie started on Saturday night or Sunday night. Yeah, probably. Well, and, you know, the, the whole idea is that the very next day <clears throat> is the beginning of the Lent season in the, in the Catholic religion, which culminates with Easter, right? So, um, and Easter is typically almost always between the end of March and middle of April. So... And mm-hmm. Lent begins, what is it, 40 days before Easter? So we're talking about February, um, most likely. And yeah, like you said, Al, it's, it's you know, we're, we're certainly not in, you know, the northern areas of Europe because in February it's probably cold and it looked like it was warm uh, where they were. But again, you know, we're reading way too much into it, as we always do. Um So, I like the uh, green outfit with the hood. I'm not a fan of the red belt or orange belt with it, but the outfit <laughs> is nice. She needs boots on, though, um, but she did not have matching boots. Is this like later on when Janine comes out to walk around and check out the fountains? No, we'll talk about that fucking pantsuit. Just you fucking oh, wait. Okay. <laughs> but no, I, I'm talking about the, the next bit where um, I, I, I skipped ahead. Because I thought we were skipping ahead, but but uh, Act Two probably is officially should. started now, and everyone is trying to align themselves with other people. And right. um, I was talking about um, Karina. I don't even know if that's her name. Yeah. Um, she was hanging out with fucking Steve, who for some reason I keep wanting to call Pete, but I think his name is Steve. <laughs> his name's and, Steve. Um, yes. For some reason, she was about to climb a tree. And the camera guy couldn't really get her in the shot very well. And she, like, didn't want to leave from almost climbing the tree. And um, then she called him stupid. Yes. Are we caught up? She called Steve stupid. Absolutely. Yeah. Because he said something about something that was stupid. Yeah. But, but I forgot again, to talk about the little man who was... Galligan. Galligan. Yeah, he's there... 
Um, and as when I watched it the second time, it made more sense to me. He's there because he's the one who's going to evaluate and estimate the value of the diamonds and then be able to give everybody their fair share. Um, but once they realize that Albert is dead, the one guy goes over and says, we don't need his bag anymore and throws it away. Um, but they were talking about the fact that Albert just, you know, committed suicide because he couldn't stand to be, you know, going through the withdrawals anymore. And that happens before the scene with Karina and Steve walking around. But it ends with Karina saying, like, I don't like what's going on here. And I want to call Omar. And is there a phone? And they said, no, there's no phone. And then she says, I want to go to the I want to go into town and make a phone call. And they don't let her. Um, the next scene after that is Janine on the bed and Juan bringing in his like big tray of biscotti and um, cappuccino or whatever the hell he brought brought into. He's going to get his. And this is the scene where she really needs the chapstick. That's what I wrote down. So, um, but uh, let's see. What else do I have here? And he fucking um, plows her. Well, okay. So what do you guys think? Like the next scene, they're out at the pool. Janine is wearing a bathing suit and a robe. But in the scene previous, she's wearing Albert's white dress shirt. And yeah. Albert says something like, I'm sorry, Juan says something like, yeah, you guys are all the same. After it's over, you're disgusted with me, but you should be disgusted with other, you know, with guys who are like Albert who are on drugs. So my guess, my assumption is that they had sex, but uh, Juan is completely redressed into the clothes he was in prior to the sex. Well, yeah, there's a pool. A bunch she of changed. Right. Yeah. And this is how I know that I could afford her because he got her with the Scotty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a quick trip to Starbucks and you're good to go. You know. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's terrible. I'm sure Al is like cringing. Like you get your biscotti <laughs> at Starbucks, you fuck, you fucking Neanderthal. <laughs> Yeah. I don't think you I probably paid too much at Starbucks. Yeah, oh, I definitely so, paid okay. too much. <laughs> um, and and so actually, um, uh, I have another question for Al because, um, I've never seen any in, anywhere in America, whether it's now or twenty years ago or fifty years ago, a pool that has that kind of weird bubble above it, and. In the Jalo films, we see it in this film, and we also see it in Black Belly of the Tarantula. Um, is that something that existed in Europe um, during that time period, or does it st- is it still a thing? I haven't seen anything like that in my lifetime. Okay. So it was probably just a thing at the time, you know, trying to keep it warm, uh, kind yeah, of like a greenhouse effect. So right. maybe the you could swim looked, in the summer. The water looked really cold when she was in it. And, like, she's huh. not that good of an actress. And she was like, oh. And she was, like, <laughs> trying to move, and she wasn't going anywhere. Yeah. But then, like, later when um, Anna's in it, it's all warm and fucking, like, cloudy. 
Um, yes. But yeah, but I will say that I have seen a tennis court with that thing over it. Yeah. To keep it warm in the winter, like in right. snowy areas. So um, I've seen one of those before. I've seen it like that for a soccer field, but it's not see-through. It's, you know. Oh, I see what you're saying. It's, yeah. It's like a tent, like a big old tent kind of thing. Um, okay. Um, and, you know, another aside, which is if these people all figured that they were only going to be there for the few hours that it took to put their keys in and take the diamonds, how is it that the women have multiple outfits that they can change into? Um, yeah, it's like on Gilligan's it's... Island. Yeah. Ginger had all sorts of shit, dude. Yeah. Well, all the women did. The guys got stuck wearing the same clothes for 10 years or however long it was. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, fucking uh, what's-her-fuck showed up with, like, a bag and a carpet bag. Like, when she was walking up to the house. Yeah. Oh, and that jacket she's wearing in that first scene is... Did you love that, Matt, or... or... I did. It was kind of weird, like really thick corduroy. And I was yes. like, would that be comfortable? I don't know. Like that seems really heavy, even for yeah. like moderate temperatures. Like I don't think comfort had anything to do with it, but yeah. Okay. So the most important part of this pool scene is all of a sudden we start hearing a helicopter fly around. Um, and this really introduces another layer of confusion and insanity into this movie, the helicopter yeah. part. Um, but we don't know anything about the helicopter yet. Uh, the next scene is Janine is wandering around the house. Um, she goes over to her radio, which when I watched the second time, I realized that she took out of the car to bring in Um because I'm like, what the fuck? Why? She's she's playing the radio and now she's talking into it. So the radio is actually some sort of CB transmitter type thing. Um, and this she movie says, is so James Bond. There's so many fucking like yeah, it's weird got a spy. Like, 60s spy shit to it. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. Well, and you know, if you go, when you get a chance, Matt, go back and watch Naked You Die. Because there's a little bit of that in Naked You Die too. And I think you'll find it to be interesting and and uh fun um because I, I al and i covered that one that's a great movie yeah. um anyway um so she turns on the radio and she says i've killed albert um you need to come and get me or whatever um and then we that see that there's, didn't last long we, we see a, a a red chair the back of a red chair and smoke coming from the chair and I think this is an indicator that someone heard what she said. Yeah. Um, and then we go immediately to the helicopter again, and we get this voiceover. And <laughs> what's what I find is awesome about this this part is that the boss, whoever the fucking boss is, we don't even know. I thought Boris was the boss, right? Um. But the oh, guy driving the helicopter too. So the guy driving the helicopter is Boris's boss, maybe. I don't know. 
but he starts like she like did did Janine take the radio and put it somewhere and turn up the volume so that the boss could start yelling at everyone? Is that what happened? Yeah, I think so. And the boss starts saying things like he starts naming people that aren't there, like Omar and Tomas, because the boss doesn't know that people have been switched out or something, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's that that made it even more yeah, so confusing. Apparently, she hasn't been in constant contact with him. This is the first time, I guess, or maybe it's such a. A short range radio that she had to wait until yeah. the helicopter was there. But it sounds like I don't I was totally confused because there's six bags to divide up the diamonds and they throw away the one because Albert is dead. Who the hell is this boss guy coming in saying he's gonna take half of them? And nobody mentioned him before. Nope. You know, like like you, I thought Boris was the boss or at least the senior member of the team. And I don't. And like, don't you have to like hire employees for employees to know that you're the boss? Like, I can't just go into like McDonald's and go, "I'm <laughs> the boss." Everyone, listen to me now. <laughs> like, but everyone was like, "Oh shit, the boss!" Like, the boss is calling on the radio. What do we do? It's the boss. That's such a good point. <laughs> like they didn't even know. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, so so Janine, the the whole idea here, I guess, is Janine decided that she was going to steal Albert's key, and um, the boss was going to come, and she was going to try to get out of the house so that the boss could pick her up, and she could give the boss the key. So that he could now blackmail everybody for half the diamonds. Um, but she hasn't left yet. She still has the key. Or she doesn't really say that she has the key. But she she refers to the fact that she killed Albert. Um, and we don't really. We still don't know at this point where Albert's key is. Because she hasn't revealed it yet. So the next scene is it's nighttime again. And Janine is in that green and blue outfit. Um, and she's walking around outside and she runs. Um, she goes over to the garage to see Albert. And Steve follows her there. And she gives, you know, she puts Albert. At one point, I was a little confused because Al, because Steve comes in and says, I can't believe you're still alive in the subtitles. And I thought originally he was talking about Albert and like Albert was actually still alive. I thought that too the first time. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, But it's really, he's referring to Janine because everybody figured out that she's, you know, the one who's the traitor. Um, So she puts her cigarette case in the breast pocket of Albert's jacket, striped jacket. Um, But she goes on this, thing where she's happy she she wants to she's she knows she's gonna leave soon um and she's going to to check out the fountains and uh anna is walking around with her chin ponytail and uh steve is talking about dangerous fish and walking sticks that have blades in them 
Um, and it's just a weird few minutes that, you know. We'll never you guys, get back. Do you guys notice anything about that particular thing <laughs> that was that worth mentioning? <laughs> well, go ahead, Al. Well, I, I think the whole uh, story of the car accident for Steve was just bullshit to give him an excuse to carry this cane that has mm-hmm. a retractable blade in it. And yep. who the hell cares? Just carry a switchblade in your pocket and walk like a normal, you know, somebody who's not injured. Unless that was supposed to get people to lower their guard or maybe not suspect that he could run up and down the steps or chase them. or It just seemed pretty stupid to me. Yeah. Yeah, because I he couldn't take those couple here, extra. I was just going to say we find out pretty quick here that he's not actually injured. Yeah, and he could have taken those three or four steps to pick up the cane, continuing to you know, put on the charade of having a, a limp because right. he's out in the open. Anybody from any window or any hedge, like we see, could have spotted him. So he got really sloppy about it. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that we see in the scene is that Anna is, I think, inside the pool area, but she's kind of trying mm-hmm. to hide. Um, because in Janine a bright didn't... red fucking outfit, <laughs> fucking idiot. Right. <laughs> but it seems to me like at this point in the evening, the heat from the pool is supposed to add some like dew or condensation to the barrier that surrounds the pool. Because in a couple of in a couple of scenes, you see it that way. And so, like, Anna is able to hide from Janine while Janine's walking around. Um, but anyway, the next scene uh, is is an interesting one, a fun one, is someone's watching uh, on some sur- sort of surveillance system. So um, fucking awesome. Th- these ca- the cameras, and they're all stuck at the top of the chandeliers for everybody's bedroom. And they switch between um, each one of the characters. Um, And I don't know if you guys know this, but back in, you know, back before digital screens and LCDs and whatnot, if you used a camera to film a television screen, you would always get that little black line that would go up from the bottom because yeah, of the difference like the in the CRT frequency. Yeah. yeah. Because film cameras were at a different frames per second than video and something like that. So um, I don't know. I don't know why I brought that up, but um, at one point we see uh, Janine and she takes what looks like the key out of her. Um, no. Ponytail and holds it up, and the the person who's watching her on the camera can see that that's what's going on. Um, now, I don't know about you guys, but for me, this is the point in the movie where 
I feel like there's an unknown character that's doing things. Um, because no, we've already just Anna. We already figured out that Albert was pushed over the side of the of the tower by Janine. But now somebody's watching these um, these surveillance cameras. And then there's the next thing where somebody goes into Janine's room and kills her and takes the key. But we'll get to that in a second. Um, At any rate, um, let's see. Immediately after. um, Well, because Anna's watching the TVs and then she does the whole get smart walking through all these like corridors and elevators and all this shit. So she could get in. Um, to kill Janine, but she finds somebody there already. Someone beat her to the punch. So now she has to try to come up with a better plan. So your idea here is that Anna was going to go kill Janine and take her key? Yeah. And it wasn't going to be Steve. Well, I mean, it ends up being Steve, but... yeah. Okay. Because um, Anna's the okay. only one who knows where all the buttons for everything is. It's <laughs> technically Anna's house. So if there's anything going on inside the house, it's Anna. Now, also, Matt, did you think when you were watching this that it reminded you of Weekend Murders? Um... It didn't jump out at me as doing so. Because the second time I watched this, the second time I watched this, I'm like, yeah, you know, like weekend murders, everybody came to the house Mm -hmm. because they were going to read the will. And then all this chaos ensues. And then eventually, you remember in that movie, it was the, the kind of keystone cop comedy guy who ends up being like the smartest guy in the movie. Who solves the mystery. Yeah. That's kind of what it reminded me of a little bit. Um, But so in my notes, I wrote that um, Anna walks around. Oh, oh, I know what it was. Um, There's a couple of really good shots where they put the camera in a position where the first part of the shot is darkness and then it ends up being the back of Anna's figure as she yeah, it's moves. Yeah, like the Get Smart intro. Yeah, okay. So that's what you were referring yeah. to. Okay. Um, okay. So Anna finds Janine, uh, puts a pillow over her head. Um, but here's my question, okay? After she puts a pillow over Janine's head, she turns around and she sees somebody. And he reveals the key. Now, I guess that's Steve, right? Yeah, yeah. We're all. Yeah, I think it is too this. because he's pretty tall, and when he's standing in front of her holding up the key, it looks like it'd be a pretty tall dude. And he's the tallest guy there. Right. Okay. I like. And then Wait, I think later pass- somebody says it too. Did we pass over the bit where um, she tells Klaus that her and Boris aren't really married? Did that already happen? 
Because that's another weird tidbit that has no bearing on the price of tea in China that they just had to throw in as like a weird. Yeah, I think I skipped that. I think you're right. There was a, there was okay. a discussion between a- Anna and Klaus, and it ends with, well, if you really don't think he's dead, just dig him up. Yeah. <clears throat> now, um, while sorry, all this is hap- while all this is happening, all right. Um, I'm sorry, I'm skipping ahead. There's a scene where Klaus and Karina are talking, and it turns out that they're involved with each other. I don't know how that happened. How did they meet? How did did they fall in love just at the at the time that they met each other at this particular location, or did they know each well, other? I don't think they fell in love. Like she was giving him very weak kisses that that were just like, "Hey, if you help me out and get me out of this, like maybe I'll give you some of the putang." Like, <laughs> it wasn't offering it up. Like, come get my butterfly, you know. Right. Because that's something that people say, apparently. Come get my butterfly? <laughs> yeah, I'm just making shit up now. I don't even know what's happening. <laughs> uh, well, it seems like at some point, everybody decided... Well, I was going to say, it seems like at some point, everybody decided to align with somebody else and break off into these little teams. Yeah. And we just didn't see it happen. We just we catch wind of it afterwards. Because the boss is coming. Well, right. it reminded me of an episode of Survivor. Because, like, that's, you know, like, the wh- whoever's <laughs> left, they're all just kind of aligning with each other and figuring out who they're going to vote for and who they're going to vote out. But um, the other thing that I forgot to mention is that the boss has established that he has Albert's key and that in exchange for Albert's key, he wants half of everything. Um, and I, I mention that now because Klaus and Karina, while they're talking, Klaus says, look, I don't think that the boss is going to be giving up half his diamonds. I think we're going to figure out how to fuck him over or kill him or whatever it is that we need to do to, to get out of this, you know, with what we, what we expect. Um, you see, I don't see how that, ultimatum carries any weight (laughs) because if the boss has one key and says screw you guys i'm not going to give you know you're not going to open the safe unless you give me half of it any person with the key can turn around and say the same thing and you're right right back where you started right yep absolutely now i don't know if the people who wrote this film decided that they understood that but because of the situation and the hyper kind of, ser- you know, like the just the fact that it's a hyper environment that people wouldn't think that through and they they would just take a threat like, hey, I'm going to hold back my key for, for half the diamonds and not think it through and say, I, I don't know that the script is that intelligent. I'm, I probably should just go back <laughs> And forget about that. Maybe um, maybe everybody was on acid in '68, and that's why all <laughs> these movies have such big holes in them. <laughs> well, I don't were. like the gold pantsuit. <laughs> Who was wearing so, that? Karina. Is that her name? I keep calling her that. Yeah, that's her name. Karina. Yeah, Karina. Karina. The girl from the yeah, tangent. When she went into 
when she went to um, barely make out with Klaus on the very tiny kid bed. Yes. Yeah. I'm looking at it now. Yep. Well, and for a little while, Karina had whatever she was wearing, that one shoulder was ripped off because of the the struggle yeah. that ensued. But again, like, I she prefer brought some... the dress she had on um, after when she put the jacket and the boots back on, um, yeah. which will happen in a bit here. I prefer mm-hmm. that dress better than the one she got ripped. But that's neither here nor there. Okay, so um, Juan is still walking around trying to figure out what the fuck is going on. And he eventually meets up with Klaus and they have a discussion. Um, surrounded, they, they are surrounding this Ark of the Covenant um, liquor cabinet <laughs> that you have mentioned before. So fucking um, cool, dude. It is Jesus. cool. Why? But again, the whiskey that's in there clearly isn't good because it looks like it's very watered down. Um, so Juan and Klaus are talking. Um, they talk about killing the boss so that he doesn't have to take his um, 50%. They also say something about that they don't trust Steve. And there's a little section in that scene where Anna is on the steps and she hears them talking. Um, yeah. And then uh, the next scene is Juan goes back to his room and Anna is in there and she has that like little boa. Um, Fuck me, dude. This bitch <laughs> is so fucking slow. If anyone has to move that slow to be sexy, they're not fuckable. This whole fucking thing is ridiculous. She, like, every movement takes her for fucking ever. Yeah. To, like, oh, you want you want to see me roll around on the bed? Well, hang on. It's going to take me a minute. Oh, here, here's my fucking ancient leg. It's going to come swinging by in about 15 minutes. Like, I was just like, fuck, this dude just fucking banged fucking cheap girl. And now yeah, this girl. fucking chick thinks that she's going to fucking, like, <laughs> get his fucking, like, carrot wet. Like, I don't know. The whole fucking thing just, I, I've never been so annoyed at watching someone be hot. Right. Or, or try, try to, be. to be hot. It yeah. was just going on forever. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and basically... And this is why I think, like, she had something to do with the production. Because if this was any other movie, any other actor, this scene would have been cut down to, like, a 30-second scene. And this might be one of the longest individual scenes in the whole fucking movie. Right. And then it goes to to this thing where you think, because she's like, oh, yeah, go get my car. Or something. I don't fucking know. Like, go to the garage because that's where things happen. And um, it like alludes to the fact that she's going to be making out with him. But then we see him walking around, but she's like covering someone's face because if ever anyone wants to make out with you, the best way to do it is to put their hands all over your face. <laughs> and like, that's just so we don't know that it's really fucking Steve that she's making out with. But if she's making out with Steve like that, does she know Steve's legs not? bum like like what the fuck's happening right now 
<laughs> the whole thing, dude. I was just like, this was the part of the movie where I was just like, I'm not buying any of this. This is garbage. And the, the fact that this movie makes me pull for Juan, this movie yeah. makes yeah. me think Juan is the most likable fucking character in the movie. How is that fucking possible? Agreed. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Well, I mean, I don't know. For me, I feel like Juan continues to be established as the one person who's really thinking things through. Like he's just walking around. He's well, looking yeah, her at everything. And him with the smart ones. He's keeping quiet. And I really thought prior to the next scene that he was going to figure shit out. Um, unfortunately, that's not what happened. But um, the one thing I noticed. Well, I mean, to, to, to respond to what you're saying, Matt, it's very possible that this actress, whose name is Maria Luisa Geisberger, um, <laughs> they were trying to kind of jumpstart something for her by having these scenes where she's very much taking up all of the screen real estate, right? I mean, like, if you look at this scene, they very rarely show Juan. It's all her all the time. The camera's following her face and her body and her movements and everything. Um, And her stick seems to be not looking at the person she's talking to. Yeah, She's always, like, staring off into space. I mean, she made eye contact. She's like fucking Amber Heard playing for the cameras. Oh, shit. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, um, uh, ladies and gentlemen, podcast listeners, if you are uh, listening to this 10 years from now and and this is some sort of time capsule, uh, Matt is referring to the only thing Amber Heard's ever done since. So. Matt is referring to the Johnny Depp Amber Heard divorce case. Anyway, okay. And it only Um, took two hours to fucking get to it. I'm surprised it took that long. No one mentioned um, a slap and referenced Chris Rock or um, Will Smith. So anyway, um, that's that's old news by now. Um, uh, Let's see. I went to. I I, I scrolled up by accident here. Um, Okay. So one of the things I noticed was that um, Juan puts on a whole bunch of aftershave, but never actually puts it on his face. He just rubs it on his hands. Well, because he weird. was just eating a fucking thing of chicken, and he's about to go <laughs> yeah, up on some bitch, and he doesn't want to smell like chicken. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Anna basically says, "Look, um, I want to open the safe, but I'm afraid." And they start talking about who's going to come with her to the safe. Is it going to be Steve or is it going to be Klaus? And Albert has a preference and I can't forget. I can't remember what he says about it, but it looks like ultimately that Anna starts to make out with or maybe has sex with Juan at the end of the scene. But in the very next scene, Anna is in bed and I thought she was just in bed with Juan, but she's in bed with somebody else. Like you mentioned, Matt, she's got her hands over this person's face. Dude, and if some chick started kissing me like that, I would think she was trying to kill me. Like, I almost, would not just lay there for it. The person, it, it, 
I almost thought that it was Albert because the person's face was hidden enough that it could be Steve or it could be Albert. And I'm like, oh, yeah. maybe Albert's really not dead because like they, they do that a lot in these movies. Um, yeah. But um, it's it's maybe definitely it's the boss. It, well, that's what I have, too. I have it written down like, could this be the boss or is it Boris or is Boris the boss? Is Boris not really dead? You know, uh, there's a lot of that. Um, but anyway, uh, this culminates with Juan going down to the garage because he's agreed to meet Anna down there with whoever she deems is the right person to come with. And he grabs the handle on the bottom of the garage door and is electrocuted. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, and that's the end of Juan. As, as fucking ponderous and pensive as Juan has been for the whole movie, in two seconds, he's done for. He's, he's been electrocuted. <sighs> Good Lord. Oh, uh, and I, I felt bad because I was really rooting for Juan. <laughs> um, Juan had my vote. So now the next scene is they're meeting with Callaghan. And um, they're talking about, well, where's Janine? And Karina goes upstairs and she finds Janine's body. She realizes that she's been stabbed and that she's dead. But uh, after she packs up her shit and um, she wants, well, no, actually, no, I'm sorry. I'm getting this wrong. She comes back down and she tells everyone that Janine is just really sleeping heavily. She must have taken a sleeping pill. Um but then she splits and goes and packs up her shit. And that's when Steve comes after her. And uh, he kind of, in so many words, admits that he's the one that killed Janine, right? Honestly, um, Steve has the right idea. Like, if I just kill all these people, I'll get their keys. Right. Like, how did this take so long for them to figure out? And he knew exactly where to look to find Karina's key. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was interesting. Mm. Or he was just trying to cop a feel and accidentally stumbled upon the key. Well, and yeah. that's a good question. Like, maybe it was Steve that was watching the videos because we see Karina check her key in one of those surveillance videos while she's sitting in bed. Mm. Oh, anyway. Um, we're probably diving too deep into this. Or Anna um, told Steve, yeah, she's keeping it in her. Well, no, she took it out in front of him. I don't know. Whatever. Moving yeah. moving along. Um, so Steve corners her and says, give me your key. She says, no. She runs away and he stabs her and kills her. And she dies with her boots on like the Iron Maiden song. Oh, my oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That was improv, too. I don't have that in my notes. Um, Good job. (laughs) Iron Maiden improv. I like it. So the helicopter is still flying around overhead. Uh, Klaus Klaus comes out with his gun. Um, He finds... um, This is fucking amazing, by the way. Karina's body, and she's dead. And this is a great scene. Um, Somehow, Steve comes out of the tomb, right? For some reason, yeah. What was that all about? I, <laughs> I don't know. Why he would he even be in there? Why he does he need to, to hide? 
Well, he had to go in there to turn on all the cameras for the next bit. So we would be yeah, able to the see multiple it. cameras that are self-editing. Yeah. They're inside the tomb. <laughs> what are you guys talking about? I'm lost. The control room where all <laughs> the shit is going on. Isn't that where it is? I don't know. Maybe they didn't show the front door. I don't know. Well, Speaking of not showing uh, the front door, there's not a lot of pubic hair in this movie. I just thought I'd say it. <laughs> yeah, there's none. Uh, okay, so Steve comes out of the tomb and a fight ensues. But I really like this scene because almost all of the fight that ensues between Steve and Klaus happens on the monitors and not in so real fucking awesome. Real life, right? It's so stupid, but it's totally awesome. I love it. <laughs> and we and he can't aim a gun, but he, he can aim a spear, apparently. Yeah, yeah. It, it, Klaus can't, like, he empties his gun. He's got no more bullets. And Steve's like, ha ha. And Klaus throws his gun away, <laughs> and he's like, but I've got my, I've got your cane. And he throws it, and then we switch to real life and so Steve gets rad. Steve gets stabbed in the heart with his own cane. Oh, oh my fucking god! The way fucking Klaus fucking hawks this fucking thing, it's like, yeah, dude, I fucking tried out for the you know the sixty-two Olympics and I fucking didn't yeah. make it. I'm gonna fucking <laughs> prove to mom I could fucking do it. He fucking launches this fucking thing it looks amazing <laughs> and it's oh i was just like oh <laughs> oh that's great oh my god so um <sighs> so steve's dead klaus walks back into the house anna has a gun but klaus is able to get it out of i think he kicks it out of her hand or something and they start fighting um and after the initial fight between Klaus and Anna, they end up in the bathroom somewhere. She turns on the tub for some reason. And this is the scene I was talking about before where she's basically, she's got like the boa, the the white like fucking sequin sparkly pants and a red bra. And she's the bejazzled eyebrows. Yeah. Real yes. quick, too, before I forget, because I had a headphone malfunction there. When he fucking kicks the gun out of her hand and beats the shit out of her, <laughs> like, like, what the fuck, dude? This dude is fucking, like, a fucking human weapon. Like, he, that kick was so fucking badass and spot on. And he is, and I mean, he fucking beat the shit out of the blonde chick too. Right. But like right. his like <laughs> front hand, backhand, front hand, backhand, like <laughs> Amber Heard, dude. Okay. You know how those Germans <laughs> are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, oh, he, geez, he, he pulls no punches with women. He, he doesn't give a shit. Like, um, okay. It's really quick. Like it's, it's impressive. Like, I don't know, dude. They're like, can this guy act? And like, I don't know. I saw him beat a bitch up the other day, and it was fucking really good. Like, let's see, let's see what he can do. Like, fuck. 
So not that my, not that I'm condoning that, everyone. I'm right. Of course not. Of course not. Yeah. Uh, so, I, in my notes at this point, I have a recap, and it says Steve dead by Klaus, Anna is still alive, Juan dead by electric fence, Albert dead from falling but pushed by Janine, Karina dead from Steve's cane, Janine dead from Steve's cane, Callaghan still alive, Klaus still alive, and then I wrote boss question mark and Boris question mark. Um, because at this point, we don't even know if Boris is really dead. Who the fuck knows? Yeah. They still keep alluding to this mystery person. Um, well, and then, that, like, the thing, too, like, when fucking Juan was, like, checking the tomb and the R on Boris moved. Right. Like, they're like, oh, is this, like, they, they do so many things to make you think, oh, look, this is a clue. Like, something interesting is happening. But, but then why, they never go back yeah, to it. I thought that was going to be some kind of switch for something. You know, like you yeah, like the... move it, you know, like in a James Bond movie or something. Yeah. You, know, you, you flip the switch and like a, a big door opens or I don't know, but nothing happened. So I was, was waiting for Anna to drop her silver pants and have a big old dick flop out and then have her say, I'm Boris. It was me the whole time. Oh, boy. <laughs> I will say too, like we missed this bit before the javelin throw. Klaus is laying on his little tiny bed and he's smoking a cigarette with this giant fucking red ashtray. Like, I want that ashtray. If that ashtray was in the safe, I would be one of the people trying to get a key. That ashtray was beautiful. That's it. Like, I got to go back and look for that now. It's so short, like you won't even notice it, but it's just so big. And like like the turtle. It's like just a big, giant, chunky, big fucking ashtray that you could like put a bunch of cigarettes out in or kill somebody with. It's like just big and heavy and red and bright. Um, Just a good looking ashtray. (laughs) Yeah, they don't make ashtrays like they used to. That's for sure. No, they fucking don't. Um, okay, so now Klaus and Anna are in the bathroom. He's calmed down. He's not beating the shit out of her anymore. They're talking. Though he throws Um, her in a bathtub. But she's in there with her shoes on, isn't she? Like, don't they show that angle? Yeah. Um, And this gives her an idea. So they talk about the fact that Anna has the key has her own key and she has all the other ones they're going to open the safe and then she says klaus i want you to go to the garage and get my car and he's like no way bitch i i'm not going to get electrocuted like Juan." <laughs> and she says oh wait hold on let me go back and pull this thing off the wall which basically yeah, means i'm gonna i've disabled this plug fucking- and this plug <laughs> fucking hell so the plug that makes the fucking garage in another building fucking electrified <laughs> is a fucking plug in your bedroom next to your fucking hair dryer in the bathroom what the fuck is that <laughs> oh my fucking god and then she's like here i'll wrap it up and put it in your pocket give put you a little shitty kiss yep. on the cheek yes oh my god if anyone ever kisses you on the cheek like that 
they're a horrible person and they're gonna murder you so fucking kill them but she was even better than that because klaus goes down to the garage he goes to the car he starts it up and then all of a sudden the only way we're gonna be able to get the fucking diamonds is if you go and get my car (laughs) yeah what does that (laughs) That mean dumbest fucking idea ever like okay i've lasted this long i might as well trust her I guess she was saying, like, I want to make a so quick getaway get once I get the diamonds. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> <laughs> so he's in the garage. All of a sudden, the door slams shut. And he, the phone, does she call him from the tower, I think? Yeah. She calls him oh, from the let's, observation let's, let's talk about that. There's a fucking observation tower, like an observatory on this property right. that has like death weapons in it and <laughs> oh my god and you can broadcast jazz through the telephone yeah yeah <laughs> awesome and then but you know what you should have known when she brought the raincoat that something was afoot she put There's a raincoat a on top sky. of her coat right yeah now I, I need some validation because I'm pretty sure that the steps or stairs that lead up to the top of the observation deck are spiral, but there's no showing of it. Do you guys agree? Because I wanted to give oh, them I a think point there's spiral, that. and I thought there was spiral staircase when he, uh, when fucking jump out McGinty fucking fell. What <laughs> no, the, the, that, the fuck? That's, that, that doesn't qualify for me as a spiral staircase because there needs to be a space. Circular. Yeah, there needs to be open space on the inside edge of the stairs, right? So even if it's not actually going around in a circle and it goes up and then to the left and then to the left again and then to the left again, but it goes up as long as there's a so space. You, you would say a fire escape is a spiral staircase. No, because the because because a spiral staircase has no space between the levels of where its its steps change direction. You know what I mean? Like, okay. like draw yes. draw a, a square and and do steps up the edge of the square. As long as there's some sort of hole in the middle, then I'll call that a spiral staircase. Okay. Okay. And the funny part is you and me and Eric had this discussion like eight years ago. <laughs> and I have to go back and find it because it's so funny because you make fun of both of us. Cause, cause Eric and I are talking about spiral staircases and you're like, yeah, well, if it's round, it's round or something like that. I forget what it was. It's so funny, dude. I got to find it. Um, and there anyway. are no corners on a circle. Yeah, there's. Yeah, that's what Matt, Matt oh. was like. Yeah, there's no corners on a circle, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that joke. Uh, how do you punish Helen Keller? Just put her in a round room and tell her to sit in the corner, right? Did you guys oh, ever hear that shit. joke? I heard the one where it was, um, "How did she burn her face?" <laughs> she answered the iron. <laughs> yeah, and then how did she burn the other side? They called again. They called back. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we're going to hell. Uh, This is like Gen Uh, X jokes, for sure. No, that's funny. We're all canceled now. (laughs) (laughs) 
For well, sure hopefully the eight people, the, the eight people who listen to this show will get Helen Keller trending on Twitter. So let's see if that <laughs> yeah. happens. <sighs> oh, oh my What's God. a Helen Keller? Uh, um okay anyway so klaus is in there she calls him on the phone and she says something like do you hear that klaus and he goes what and she goes death she says morte and he gets this look on his face like oh fuck what did i just do i just finally figured out that you know i made the wrong decision and then ladies and gentlemen if you're still listening to this podcast, the most ridiculous scene in all of Jalo that I have yet to see. And I don't know if you guys agree, but she decides that through the releasing of some sort of power handle that there's going, she's going to flood the garage and drown Klaus. And it's unbelievable. The whole scene. I mean, first of all, because she's doing it in real time. So however long it takes you to fill a bathtub, like multiply (laughs) that by like 15. And that's how long this takes. Exactly. And meanwhile, Klaus is trying to stuff his shirt in the hole while it's while the water's coming out in two different places. Right. She's fucking tapping her finger. She's getting bored. If your right. fucking killer is getting <laughs> bored during a death scene, you're fucking doing it wrong. And fucking... why? Go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, like Gherkin, uh, Geraldo, the little hat man. He's yes. just sitting there watching. He's, He's there like, too. Oh. He's yeah. like, wow, this is so you're killing someone. Okay, well, holy, holy mackerel. All okay, right. but again, it, why it doesn't did have she... to take? Go ahead, Al. I'm sorry. Well, it doesn't have to take that long because we've established that the garage door is electrified, right? So she could just fill the the garage full of water, oh, like knee Jesus high, Christ. and then just flip the switch and fry the guy. Are you kidding but me, Al? She no put way. the fucking she put the plug in his pocket, so he now has <laughs> get the plug another fucking plug. Would, like, I know, but if oh he's in God. the car. The rubber, tires, the rubber tires would make him not get electrified. <laughs> not once the water he got above the, the tires. <laughs> He's and then he gets in the car and the rolls car. the windows up like that's going to turn the car into a submarine? What the fuck? <laughs> and then there's a shot of the car. Ooh. He's in the car and the water level inside the car is higher than it is outside of the car. <laughs> what did he do? Piss his pants too? <laughs> but it's just it's maddening because if he would have just stood on the roof of the car, she gets bored and fucking opens the garage before it gets full. Well, this is the he point totally could have lived. They keep showing Albert floating around, and I'm going, well, if there's room for Albert to float around, there's room to Klaus for Klaus to still be breathing inside this fucking aqua you know this water water tomb so he got in the car well for okay let's let's give let's give klaus a little bit of credit he got in the car because he was going to try to ram through the door and once that didn't happen he realized that he was going to drown inside the car but why he didn't come back out out of the car 
he got out of the car to look at the wheel well. Like, I don't know, like maybe he like ran over something and he was like, oh, I got to get this out. And he's like, oh, shit. No, God damn you. And then he gets back. (laughs) (laughs) And what was the purpose of playing the jazz music through the phone? I don't understand that. Was she it's a, it's more to entertain team. us? Yeah. You know? Like she wanted them to hear music while they were drowning? Is that what it was? Yeah. Ugh. I'll, okay. I'll show you. So the you other thing that's... you don't like jazz? Yeah. <laughs> so Anna eventually realizes, because she doesn't hear any more noises coming from the garage, that everyone must be dead or Klaus must be dead. Um and I don't know about you guys, but I noticed that um, when I was watching it, Klaus was yelling a lot of things that never made it to the subtitles yeah. while he was panicking. And I don't know really what he said. And I don't know that it was clearly inconsequential to the to the plot because they didn't bother to put it into the subtitles. But I don't know what he was saying. He was probably just saying, you know, help me or stop or whatever. Um but Anna opens the door to let the water out and goes back <laughs> down once she realizes that. And that's the other thing that I, the other point that I had was there's no way that that garage door is completely airtight. I'm sure some water could seep out through the well, bottom. You the saw side. it open, dude, and all that water came out. So yeah. it was holding something. It was holding something. So she In finds- which she's taken his the keys out of his pocket it looks like his hair is dry (laughs) well not only does it look like his hair is dry but he died in a position that he would never be able to maintain while dead like his hands are up pushing against the window like like i thought he was faking it i thought he was gonna kill her right then (laughs) i thought he was gonna go ha ha you thought you killed me i would have been great underwater us Germans, we learned how to breathe underwater back in World War II. Well, Crickets. okay. All right. Um, yeah. So this is the point where we realize that this is an observation tower, which has nothing to do with anything, but whatever. Um, so Anna, uh, she gets the rest of the keys. She opens this. She gets the rest of the keys. She opens the safe. She gets the briefcase or whatever it is, the container out of there where, that has the diamonds in it. Large um, leather satchel. And she brings them back into the main area where uh, Callaghan has set up his little makeshift uh, appraisal area. And he says, look, um, I know these are all yours, but just for, I just would, I just really want to just touch them and see them. And at first I thought he was talking about Anna's tits, but because <laughs> I'm reading the subtitles, he's like, I just want to touch them. I just want to I've, see them. I've heard and so much I, about them. I've heard so I've much heard about so them. Much of that. And then I and I wrote in my notes for the scene by scene. I wrote he's talking about diamonds, right? Uh, so who the hell knows? But I don't know. That that's what I first thought of. But anyway, he looks at the diamonds and he says, "Guess what? These diamonds are fake. 
there were two different um, rooms vaults. in Amsterdam. Yeah. Vaults, yeah. yeah. And one vault had the fake diamonds and one had the good ones. And you guys stole the wrong ones because you're amateurs. Um, and she gets this look on her face like, I can't believe it. All this work that I did to get the diamonds. And he's now telling me that they're fake. And then we cut over to the helicopter flying around again. And then we cut to the scene where Anna has this acid freak out. Uh, spins around in a circle a million times. Very well done. But but what ended up happening to Ed? I mean, did her head explode? Does she just go crazy? What like what happened? She went crazy, dude. She didn't die. No, she just lost her shit. She's gonna be in a little fucking round room with Helen Keller for the rest of her fucking life now. <laughs> so throughout this entire story. She did all of these things and masterminded all of this craziness so that she could end up with all the diamonds. And Callaghan says they're fake and she loses her shit. Mm-hmm. And she starts being haunted by the diamond-covered bodies of the people she murdered. Yeah. Weird. Right? And what happened to the boss? And what happened to the boss? The, he's, no, he's still the up in the helicopter. The boss is still flying around. He's like, hey, guys, this is the boss. Listen to me. I'm the boss. He's still up Uh, in the helicopter. But before that happens, after the scene where Anna goes crazy and screams, and they show all the characters with jewelry, diamond jewelry on them, this weird little yellow thing comes out of the corner of of the frame, and it looks like a little block of cheese or something, but it's not fully formed yet. It's blurred out. And we see Callaghan. And normally that would happen, and it would immediately turn into what it turns into. So this is like super tongue-in-cheek shit right here. This is, that is what, really is clever. Is that what it is? Because like I didn't yeah. get the reference. Okay. Like they were just trying to be very obvious, obviously sarcastic with this device, where they bring out the title. Or they bring out the word F-I-N-E, which means that it's the end of the movie. But they let it sit on the screen for like five minutes. Before they turn it, yeah. Okay. That was great. I loved that. But the so, whole spinning thing, real quick, if we could just hit that. like, Oh, yeah. Okay. I don't know if this had been done before this. I assume it had. But I have seen this so many times in so much other shit. Um, since, I mean, um, and it's really, really creative how all of this was done. Like, and this is where I go into that whole thing where like the people who made this movie, like were artists, they knew what they were doing. They were trying to fucking do cool shit. You had like super fucking Argento lighting in the background while she's spinning And this whole thing was so fucking cool. And, like, the super 60s artsy, like, diamond stickers on your face and legs and all that shit that she was, like, um, thinking about was kind of weird. But um, the actual her losing her mind um, 
with that spinning and the um, tight circle dolly track um, fucking thing is so neat that they did that. I don't know. Like, yeah. I was just like, the production value of this movie just shot up like a million fucking percent on just that fucking shot. Um, but yeah, the 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 fin finny fucking thing that's fucking hysterical. But yeah, okay. <laughs> well, and you know, um, and it just that particular scene of her spinning around. Um, if that was the only thing that was artistic about the movie, it would be one thing. But there's a lot of stuff throughout the entire movie where it's clear that the people who made this movie were good at their craft. Yeah. Um, it's very possible that, like, the script wasn't really that good or there were holes in the story. But they didn't really care um, because, you know, again, the audience was going to watch this one time in the movie theater and not think about it as much like you know, that we're doing. Um, but yeah, there, there were, there were many situations and scenes where I'm looking at the screen going, Whoa, this is really, you know, um, standing out as a little bit more than just a normal, you know, throwaway scene. This looks very artistic and well, um, like just planned out. You know, just framed out and and considered and very very thoughtful kind of framing of the way that they did these scenes. It was cool. Um, Al, you want to throw anything else in? I got the end scene, and then we're 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 done. Well, I agree with you. I think the production value and the you know the camera work was all brilliant. I think they were trying to go for a black comedy type vibe and that would explain the cheery music right after people get killed yeah but to me it i don't know it's just it kind of got too complicated to follow for its own good yeah uh, probably more than it needed to uh i would have enjoyed it more and I've seen this three times and I'm still not exactly sure who was on whose side or how things worked and why is there a boss that was never mentioned until halfway through the movie. Uh, And if it wasn't for stuff like that, I'd probably appreciate it more. I don't see myself watching this again anytime soon, especially unless I'm showing it to somebody else. Uh, So I I don't know. Well, I like, you know, the other ones we've covered better. I think that if they had resolved the whole boss thing and the Boris thing and Mm -hmm. ended with Anna going crazy and spinning around and screaming, that probably would have been better. But like you said, they wanted to throw one more thing in here uh, at this end scene and they didn't resolve who the boss was. They didn't resolve Boris at all. And they didn't really resolve the last scene of the movie either to any, you know, other than it being like kind of a tongue in cheek, like, Whoa, like, you know, comedic ending. Um, You know, well, hit the end, end. you know, like at the end of Bay of blood, when the fucking kids come and shoot their parents and they're like, yeah, we can pretend to play, you know, killer again. And that's the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's like, you know, Baba did all this stuff to make it 
sort of serious and then ended with this little kind of gag. And that's almost what this reminds me of, too, like this end scene. Calligan drives out in a car with some woman that we've never seen before. She's got jewelry all over her face and all over her body. Very reminiscent of the flashes of hallucinations that Anna was seeing when she was starting to go crazy at the end. But she's One, she's wearing a mask and stuff. She's obviously a rebel. Yeah, it's, like, a, it's yeah. like some sort of like masquerade kind of costume, right? Um, so she takes her diamonds off of her dress and then Cal- I think, does Calican give her other diamonds to put back into the holes that she emptied them from no he he took the costume jewelry off of her shit before he got to the house to begin with so he could smash those and show them that they're fake diamonds right okay because he didn't want to smash the real ones obviously um so he's got this little red cell phone in his car or car phone or whatever you want to call it it's got some uh what's what I thought was funny is it has confetti on it. Yeah. Um, which is kind of weird. Uh he calls the insurance company and says, Yes, I've got the real diamonds. Um, I told them that they were fake and they believed me. Um and then they said something about the boss, and he wants half of the diamonds. So I'm gonna stick around because I think he'll stay up there, right? Is that what he says? Yeah. What does that mean? That the boss yeah, isn't stay up come down. He'll stay up there. He'll stay wide. up in the helicopter. Yeah, forever. Because no one's. So how's he going to get half of the diamonds? I think he thought Blondie was going to get his half, right? Oh. And he doesn't really know that she's been killed because he's just in the helicopter. He didn't know anybody'd been killed. I mean, he thought right, he Thomas still... and Omar were yeah. going to be there. He's still calling out other people's names. Exactly. He doesn't know shit. So I guess you're right. I think. So him seeing this old Charlie Chaplin guy walking back and forth with the briefcase, <laughs> he wouldn't notice that at all. Right? Yeah. So it's, um, it fucking reminds me of like Mr. Claw <laughs> from Inspector Gadget. Yeah, right. Like, exactly. Just flying in his weird little thing. Yeah, you never see Whatever. him. Exactly. He's yeah. just petting the cat the whole time. Exactly. Um, so Calligan says he's going to stick around until the rest of the infantry gets there to recover the diamonds. And then this girl, who we've never seen before, like I said before, she realizes that she has a, a ridiculous <clears throat> amount of money and diamonds on her clothing and says, you know what? Fuck this. I'm going to hit the gas and drive away. And Calligan falls out of the car and this little green blob of cheese or yellow blob of cheese that we've been looking at the whole time subconsciously turns into the word F I N E and we're done. And, and again, um, <laughs> this end scene was just over the too over the top for me. Like it just, it, it almost ruined the, the ending. Really? I hated it. I just thought it was oh stupid. Oh my God. I thought it was, like, fun. It just felt like every time we thought the movie was going to end, something else happened, and then something else happened, and then something else happened. And then it cuts to fucking the boss in the helicopter screaming for someone to listen to him. Yeah. And no one's there to fucking listen to him. 
And then they like, and okay, okay, but I'll stop. We'll we'll hit these things in a minute. I'm sure. So go ahead. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm done. I mean, the only thing that's left is um, the little montage of the characters and the and the actors' mm-hmm. names that they did at the end, and they played the theme one more time. Um, I just think like the the only thing I was thinking was you know, I know that Matt hadn't seen hasn't seen Naked You Die yet, but they wrapped up everything in Naked You Die, but they left a few minutes uh, for the end of the film to do something that was kind of like it was tongue in cheek, it was lighthearted, it was a little bit comedic, which is kind of like what they're doing here. But the difference here is that the girl runs off with the diamonds like it's a big deal. It's not like they're just adding this little, you know, flourish at the end of the so film. So you're saying that Naked You Die did what this movie was trying to do, but did it correctly? Well, I mean, for me, that's what I'm saying. I mean, you know, a lot of Jalo, a lot of uh, a lot of Jolly in the post Bird age or the 70 to 75 era. Once the killer is revealed and once the mystery is solved, the movie pretty much fucking ends right there. You know, people walk off or whatever. But in Naked You Die, they figured out who the killer was. There were some characters who were left over. And then they added another scene to just make it kind of cute a little bit. To end on a lighter note. Yeah. And I think that that's what they're trying to do here. But again, my point is... The whole thing was about the diamonds and some girl that we've never seen before drives off with them. And I'm just well, like, she only drove off with like two or three of them. Two. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. And I think the joke is if she had been patient, she could have waited for a dude to come back with the whole case full of them. <laughs> but she got a little more ambitious than clever. Well, didn't I he mean, even say I'm going to go back in and get the rest, or go get the diamonds? Yeah, get the yeah, and then well, put these back. Oh, right, he's going to put those back because somebody else is coming for him. Okay, so well, hell, she could have taken that guy. She could have elbowed him right in the fucking face and stuffed him in the trunk and go get the diamonds herself. But that'd but be a I whole mean, different movie. Listen, she's a flaky, impulsive female, don't you know? Like, she's just going to just take the two diamonds she has and hits the gas and runs away. Like, uh, obviously. Why would she I think good for her other than that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who knows what she was doing hanging out with that guy. But Right, and where she was she this whole time? Was she just hanging out, like, hiding somewhere? Was she sitting in the car? Did she show up later? Yeah, she was parked down the driveway for like three days. Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's God. not like you could have called her because there's no phone. Right. Well, there's a phone in her car. Yeah. There's no phone yeah, he inside. He could have called the... her from the house yeah. to tell her to come pick him up. So, there's no phone in the house. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right. So um, before we get to final thoughts, I want to give you guys a quick... Uh, rundown of the Jalo score for this film. It didn't get very, it didn't do very well. Uh, it got a 40, it, it got a 43 and I don't want to spend too much time on this cause we've already been talking for three hours, but every time I watch one of these older Jalo films where there's not a specific explicit 
individual responsible for murdering or whatever the mystery is. And it's more like, hey, there's a mystery in general. It's more abstract. There's a secret. There's something that we're going to find out at the end that we don't know now. And it's going to make the film more entertaining as a result. Right. That's the whole idea of mystery. Um, and I'm wondering if, and again, because Americans have an idea that a Jalo film falls into the category of an unknown killer with black gloves who stabs people. And we eventually find out who it is at the end. But for Italians, the word giallo just means mystery. And if you watch a lot of the films between 63 or 64 and 70, many of them revolve around this idea of there's just something that we don't know yet as the audience. It's betrayal. It's backstabbing. It's whatever it is. And we're going to find it out eventually. And that's the mystery. It's not, it's not attributed to an individual. And that's where the Jalo score kind of breaks down for me. And I, I can't reconcile this problem. I can't really come up the with only a good thing answer. I could, the, the only thing I think you could do. And this again is, um, cause like this movie to me is like barely a Jalo. Like it barely would meet like criteria. Like if this movie had come out, Post-1970, I don't think it would be something we, w- we would ever even talk about. But because it's yeah. in the proto okay. era, like, would you come up with a proto score? Since well, everything that the Jalo score is based off of is basically based off of 1970 and yes. beyond. Well, there's there's two sides to that. So you can you can continue to evolve the Jalo score criteria so that we are accommodating proto um, with things like, you know, adding a date range where they get like less points, but still gets points because it's during a particular time period date range or um, some of the other like minor signatures that are really only seen in the proto Jalo films that aren't seen in the, the classic period. Um, but at the same time, the really important parts of the Jalo score that give the most points are all kind of related to the idea that we've got a hidden singular individual who may or may not have an accomplice or two who has an objective and that objective may be that he's insane or that he's got some sort of trauma or she that she's um, dealing with and as a result is killing people or is in it for the money or someone's blackmailing them or whatever. But in this film, like you said, Matt, like if this had come out in, in the later seventies, cause this film reminds me of Bava's uh, rabid dogs to a certain extent where it was kind of like the whole film. I don't know if you ever saw rabid dogs, but yeah, it's uh, great. the whole film is like three people in the back of a car. And eventually there is a surprise and a mystery that comes out of it. So you could call it a giallo if you wanted to, just as much as you could call this one a giallo. And I think that maybe Al probably has a good perspective simply because giallo is still something that's kind of actively referred to in pop culture in Italy, right? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it has nothing to do with black glove killers and, and, you know, gleaming blades and switchblades and shit. Right. 
So anyway, I, I'm off on a tangent and I'm not really sure how I got here. But basically, the idea here is that I didn't give the film. I, no, I gave the film points for this whole hidden identity mystery thing, mystery thing, because at first Albert is thrown off of the tower and we don't know who did it. So there's the mystery, but then we realize who did it. But then there's all these situations out where his key is. We need to find out where his key is and who is the boss and is Boris really alive or not? And is who is Anna working with? Because there are several scenes where she's working with someone who is off camera and it's some sort of mystery. So that's why I gave it that. um, So does she have an accomplice? Yeah. So, I mean, that's the thing. Like I considered there to be multiple suspects. I considered there to be um, more than one killer or an accomplice. Um, The rest of them are pretty easy. Death from falling, uh, an animal in the title of the film. Um, And then I I gave the film pseudoscience credits for that safe because of the uranium that was in it, um, which couldn't obviously ever happen. So, um, yeah, that's it. It gets a pretty low score. Um, but, uh, but is this a giallo? I think it is. I mean, what do you guys think? Is it because of the time period? I don't know. I, to me, it's more like, uh, there's too many mysteries and, you know, you just enumerated a lot of them. There's too many suspects, uh, too many killers. And I just, I think <clears throat> en- enough of the Jalo uh, elements that we've come to expect and, you know, that you base your score on just aren't really there. Yeah. So what is it? Is it more of a just a general thriller kind of a film or it's just like a crime flick, just like Yeah. Um yeah. like I think if you're doing like a, a Polizia Tesco or something like that, there's gotta be police involvement right. in order to make that a thing. So this is just like a general a general a general crime thriller, but because of that being what it is. I think it would be considered at least like a proto Jalo. Like it, like there's so many fucking movies that we've done that are pre 1970 that like, I would like if the movie had come out in 1972, I would go, well, I don't really think this is what it is. Yeah. But right. because it came out when it did, it, yep. um, it makes sense. Kind of. But, well, and uh, and this is kind of like where I'm at in my own personal quest to consume as much giallo as possible, jolly as possible between 63 and 1980, let's say, or 1990. Um, these, uh, shit, man, this sucks. I had such a great point and it's completely gone. Uh, like, honestly, fuck. the fact that the score like gets more points for in between 70 and 75 that's legit and that's valid because when most people think of these films that's the kind of shit that they want to look at 
So a movie that came out before then that doesn't even know the tropes yet, the fact that it is hitting any of the tropes, I think, is a win for that movie. Like coming up with shit before the shit was even invented. You know what I'm saying? Right. I think the last two movies that we did are a lot closer to being jolly as yeah. we understand them than this one is. Yeah. This one is a couple steps in the opposite direction. Right. But yes, it gets referred to as a jalo because the the tropes that we come to expect from the classic jalo haven't really been just cemented in as standards. And so from from this proto period, if you were to watch, say, a film like, um, oh, fuck, what the hell was it called? There was another film that was basically just a spy thriller that people consider to be a giallo. And the idea, I guess, again, is to just reiterate is that um, all of these ideas were just still kind of evolving and people were trying shit out. Um because yeah, like you said, Matt. I mean, I if if this film wasn't from a nine from nineteen seventy six or seventy seven, you know, it would be in in somebody else's uh, list of, of films. It wouldn't fall into the genre list, probably. Yeah. But, oh, I don't. I know. have I a I couple a better Italian, point, but I can't remember. What was, I oh, have sorry. a couple of Italian books uh, about Jolly in. They're both kind of like encyclopedias of Jolly, kind of like the uh, So Deadly, So Perverse volumes that Howarth did. And one of them is over 500 pages, and it doesn't mention this film at all. Wow. And they go back pretty early. I mean, they start in, uh, I think the first few movies they cover are like from the 40s. Huh. So it's not like they're averse to proto Jolly. Yeah. Uh, and another book that I have has just like a very short paragraph that is basically a synopsis. And it gives it two stars as a critical rating and three. And these are out of five. Right. So two out of five as a critical rating and three out of five as a curiosity rating. <laughs> But literally, the, the entire cool. entry for this film is is only like two or three sentences. So it's not very uh, talked about or considered. Well, if you go it. back and, and look at, um, and maybe I'll throw it in the show notes, um, Mark David Welsh's um, critique of the film. Um, let me see if I can grab something out of here to to quote really quick uh he says with a cast so inexperienced in front of the camera it's a testament to the director that he elicits such a good all-around performances of course it's certainly possible that the cast had a theatrical background um and then he talks about a couple of the um actors having some you know, acting, you know, some theater background. Given these facts, it might be tempting to believe that this is some some sort of vanity project, but the sheer professionalism and decent production values speak against that possibility. So, um, I think that's, that's kind of an interesting point. 
because if you look at everybody's resume who's in this movie, they don't have anything else. But let and me ask not, you this. Is it possible that any of these people changed their names or did this movie under a name? Because, like, these people, like, everyone in this movie looks so fucking familiar. Unless they yeah. just went and got a bunch of lookalikes and said, oh, you kind of look like this guy. You look like this chick. You look like so-and-so. Like, we'll do this movie. I don't know. The the movie just, like, I thought for sure when I was watching this that I had seen all of these people and other shit. Yeah. The guy that played Albert was in So Sweet, So Dead. He yeah, played the, the detective's nephew, the one that the detective's wife was meeting at the house at the end. But yeah, see, uh, that's I, a very I don't small re- role. It's been so long since I've seen that film. And one of the things that I'm excited about is that I've been spending so much of my time in this proto period that when I feel like I've exhausted all of the good films from the proto period, I'm going to go back and rewatch everything um, starting at 1970 and go through 75. And I'm, I think that I'm going to enjoy it like probably 10 times more than I did before. Because I've spent so much time with this, like, you know, this period of time where people were still ramping up and, and you know, exploring some of the opportunities that this this genre will give them. Final thoughts. I mean, I think last podcast Al was mentioning some other podcast that um, rated things on a hated it, um, didn't mind it liked it really liked it or something like that i can't remember or liked it loved it it was uh loved it liked it didn't like it hated it yeah no and so for me i wish there was a halfway point between liked it and loved it because that's where i would put this film for me what about you matt okay um i this is a like very guilty pleasure feeling for me <clears throat> so um i don't love it but i do like it more than i, I like it i like it we'll say i like yeah. it but yeah i think what puts it over the edge for me is that it's just i could probably watch it without the subtitles on and just enjoy looking at it um so yeah. not not necessarily getting out of it what you would get if you followed the narrative, but more like looking at it as if it were a painting or, you know, some sort of piece of classical music that doesn't have any um, program associated with it, but it's just music for its own sake. Like, um, like the fifth chord, for example, like I like the narrative of the fifth chord. I think it's a good story, but I could watch it with the sound off or with the conversation off and um, still really enjoy it so what about you al i know you i think you said you're in the liked it category i guess i'm between like it and didn't like it or didn't like it Mm. like you said uh it just looking at it is better than trying to understand it (laughs) 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 and the plot kind of gets in the way of me appreciating it you know, but uh, I don't know. Maybe someday I can get to the place where I'm not so critical about the narrative 
you know, I think that holds me back from some of the Dario Argento stuff because I watch it and it just this does not make any sense at all. Mm-hmm. And people say, oh, they're like dream. You just have to let it wash over you. Well, you know, <laughs> if I could get to that point, maybe I'd like this film better. Well, if someone has to tell you how to enjoy something, then whoever made the thing in the first place did it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you have to know, you know, you have to know it's, it's the reverse of, you have to know your audience. Like you have to know your, your artist, right? Like if I'm going to, you know, if I know that I'm going to see a concert or a, a, a musical, whatever, where they're going to play free jazz for 45 minutes. Um, I, I will go there knowing that I'm not going to hear singer songwriter music. You know what I mean? Like I put myself in the frame of mind. So what is, what is the genre beyond horror or beyond Jalo that Argento does? Because if you're going, knowing you're going to see free form jazz, right? Like, well, that's a good question. I think that Argento maybe takes up more than one category because Argento takes up more than enough time. I think that his show. (laughs) Well, you asked me. I'm going to answer. I know. I'm a dick. I'm a dick. I'm a dick. I'm sorry. (laughs) I think his first films, for the most part, are they 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 adhere to a formula that. What's his name? Ernesto Gastaldi said in one of those documentaries where he's like, you can't cheat in a giallo. You can't say, oh, a ghost or some sort of supernatural person did this. And I think Argento like really walks that fine line in his first three films. Um, And then in Deep Red, he's able to kind of jump over the line because that one woman character in the film has this psychic uh, realization which is the first and only reason why the killer is brought back into circulation and starts killing again. And then once you get to Suspiria and Inferno, it's all bets are off, right? It's all dreamlike. Um, and I agree with you that Inferno is actually better than Suspiria um, as a whole, but there are some set pieces in Suspiria that are just so good that that's why it beats Inferno. But I think as a whole, if I had to pick one or the other, I pick Inferno. I like the soundtrack. It was done by Keith Emerson. I like the the colors uh, in in Inferno a little bit better. But anyway, yeah, I'm off topic. Um, but yeah, it's a good point because I think that Argento has a very dreamlike, you know, abstract, avant-garde flavor that he adds to all of his films. And if you're saying that that is not a characteristic of a giallo, then the whole fucking system breaks down. And I don't know what the hell to say. <laughs> <laughs> because the whole score thing is based on Argento films. So, okay. Cats what, I don't, fucking I don't dogs. Know. <laughs> <laughs> it's the brandy people. I, I swear. I don't, I don't know what I'm saying. Uh, anyway. So I think we all kind of liked it, but Al was on the fence and probably will never watch it again. But that's okay. I had fun watching it um, and talking about it for sure. So yeah, that's 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 it, guys. That was it.
So there we are. Right. Um, there it is. Bob's this was uncle. fun. Fanny's rant. I'm glad we got to throw this in because uh, as the next month or two go on, I'm going to have less and less time to devote to um, doing these. So I'm glad we got this one and we'll put it, we got it in the can, as they say, right? Um, yeah. I'll wait till the end of the month to do the post-production and get it um, published for everybody. Okay. Um, hopefully we'll find some time next month to do another one. And in prep for that, I've got a, a list of films um, that I still want to cover before I go back into the classic period. Um, but that's my own personal goal. We don't have to do that. If we want to jump out to a later period and do something else, that's totally fine with me too. Um, but my list currently is the embalmer also known as the monster of Venice from 65. I think it's in black and white, uh, a very awesome film, at least for me called the possessed lady of the lake. It's more avant-garde than Jallo, but it's really cool. Uh, Double Face, which I think Al was just recently watched. It has Klaus Kinski in it. Uh, a film called Carnal Circuit, uh, Naked Violence, Death Knocks Twice, and this really weird film with Franco Nero called A Quiet Place in the Country, which was, um, it, 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 it's another one of these films that like, uh, walks a fine line of Jallo, non Jallo. It reminds me a lot more of. Um, I don't know if you guys remember uh, Death Laid an Egg. That's kind of. Oh weird. yeah. You know, it's it's kind of that kind of a film. So those are the ones on my list. I don't know if you guys have any any ideas or things that are really you know come popping out that you want to suggest that we do next. But uh, throw no, them out just there. whatever you guys decide. Let me know. Well, having seen Double Face pretty recently, I think that would be really fun to do. Okay. I like that one. It's very, uh, um, it's it's got a gothic kind of uh, flavor to it, right? It's like uh, urban, yeah. it's like urban giallo gothic mixed together. Mm-hmm. And Carnal Circuit is, uh, well, I haven't seen it yet, but I have other reasons I kind of want to cover that one. But uh, that one and A Quiet Place in the Country is I, I have that on DVD and it's pretty cool. I think you have you seen it already? It you oh, yeah. 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 Um, I've seen it once. It's very weird. Mm-hmm. And it has and it a looks- little bit of a supernatural element to it, but not enough to <clears throat> sink it as far as a Jalo, I think. Right. But the one thing it does have for it is it seems like a more of an international release. It seems like it's a bigger budget kind of film. Uh, well, he spends a lot of time in a farmhouse or out in a, a country house. I'm not sure about how big the budget is. But yeah, it has I mean, Vanessa Redgrave in it. Right. And I think that was the film where Franco Nero and Vanessa Redgrave met. And they've been together ever since. So, yeah, they're married, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So or something. Kind of... They have some sort of whatever commitment. Um right. no, I just remember seeing like the Paramount or the whatever it is, the Lion, you know, the MGM Lion at the beginning of that film. So it's like it got it got some distribution that was beyond say what you would see for a hyena in a safe, for example. Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> 
Cool. Alrighty. <clears throat> All right, guys. Well, that was fun. Um, yeah, I liked it. As usual, if you made it this far, you deserve some plugs for our shit. The Jalo Chow Chow at gmail.com is where you would send information or ideas to us related to the podcast. We have a Facebook group called Jalo Chow Chow Volume 2. My website is at the Jalo Score, the T H E, Jalo Score.com. Matt, you're at I hate mattwall.com. Anything else you want to plug? Correct. Oh, that's it. And Al, any new plugs since last time, which were none? <laughs> uh, no. no. All right. Awesome. So uh, thanks, everybody, for getting together. Thanks, guys, for uh, making the time yeah. to do this. And Matt, um, would you do us the honors and take us home? All right, everybody. Until next time. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao.